This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. To grow a healthier, happier life. Top of the morning to you. Dr. Matt here. I feel like I'm losing my voice. It's almost like you couldn't hear me at the beginning of the show. Yeah, it's really weird. Seemingly a little board problem for a bit there. Good to have you here. Welcome to the program. This is a uh, this is going to be a fun day. Lots of interesting stuff to talk about. For example, we will be getting into the primaries. West Virginia had their primary last night. Nebraska as well. And uh, you know, you, you know, it seems like it's not as exciting, but come on, Bernie Sanders, fill the burn. He's killing it. He's doing a great job. So we will get to those primaries. Also, in the first hour of the show, we'll be speaking with Dr. Daniel L. Nielsen about the Panama Papers. They just uh, had another release of names from the Panama Papers, and now you can find out all your famous stars and and people that have enough money to hide it in offshore bank accounts. But uh, Daniel Nilsson will be talking about some of the research he has done on these offshore bank accounts. It's pretty amazing. By the way, don't get mad at the Caribbean. Don't get mad at uh, some of these, you know, these small islands that are doing it because the number one creator of these, um, what do we call them, kind of offshore accounts is the United States. Sorry, we are the masters of it. Nobody can hide money better than we can. So we will be talking with Dr. Daniel Nelson in just a few moments to get to that. By the way, Root Canal Appreciation Day. All of this ahead. But first, let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on? Good morning. Thanks, Matt. Bernie Sanders won the West Virginia primary on Tuesday night, prolonging the fight against his Democratic opponent, Hillary Clinton. Although she has mathematically eliminated him from the contest, Sanders continues to prolong the battle, putting together back-to-back wins in both Indiana and West Virginia. Sanders has vowed to continue campaigning until the convention, forcing Clinton to fight him and presumptive Republican nominee Donald Trump at the same time. Trump also won both West Virginia and Nebraska. Police shot and killed a man suspected of fatally stabbing two others at a mall near Boston. The unidentified suspect allegedly crashed his vehicle through the front entrance of the Macy's department store before stabbing several people. An off-duty sheriff's deputy shot and killed him shortly thereafter. The U.S. Senate Commerce Committee, led by Republican Senator John Thune, has launched an inquiry in response to recent news that Facebook was reportedly suppressing conservative news items in the trending section of the site. The committee drafted a letter to Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg asking about the curated section, telling the tech giant to, quote, arrange for your staff, including employees responsible for trending topics, to brief committee staff on this issue. Robert Stakowitz escaped from a minimum security prison in Georgia back in 1968, where he had been sentenced to serve 17 years for robbery by force. Nearly 50 years later, authorities have finally tracked him down. He had reportedly been living for at least 26 years in a small Connecticut town near the state's border with New York, where he owned a home. He was arrested by state troopers and U.S. Marshals Monday and charged with being a fugitive from justice. The Chicago Cubs are currently the best team in baseball by a significant margin, but not so significant that it is advisable to withdraw your entire retirement fund and bet on them winning the World Series. No one told that to Don Majewski, though. Majewski, a Chicago resident and lifelong Cubs fan, withdrew $200,000. 
or 90% of his retirement savings and flew to Las Vegas to bet on a 3-1 to payout. The Cubs are 24-6 and and one of only 10 teams in MLB history to win 24 of their first 30 games. The Cubs have not won a World Series in 108 years. So there you go, Matt. That's your morning news update and back to you. Thank you, Caitlin. So the guy withdraws his money to go bet on the Cubs. Um, not smart, it seems like. You might want to keep your savings. What do you do? I mean, even if you win, still not smart. Come on. Come on. Do it the old-fashioned way. Just, just save. Or, or go win a lotto somewhere. The old-fashioned way. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Folks, we got to learn to earn, right? Earn it. Um, interesting day for you today. When we talk about uh, the primary elections, does, does it even matter to you anymore? If you're a, a member of the GOP, you may not even care what happened. But last night, Bernard Sanders did it again. 51.4% of the vote to Clinton's 36% of the vote in the West Virginia primary. Sanders takes it there. Um, by the way, last year, I think Clinton took it over Obama in West Virginia. Like 41%, I believe. She killed it. But she's on the list now because she said she's closing down coal Yeah, she's plants. shutting down all coal jobs and that's a huge coal state. You know, I'm not a politician, but that seems like a really fast way to offend coal miners. And and there was a poll that said at least uh, 40, was it like 40% of caucus goers are saying that they, if they would have voted Hillary last time, this time, they're going to end up voting for, say, Trump just yeah. because, yeah. just against her because of what she said. Well, and, and West Virginia is a fairly conservative state, but if it goes head to head with Hillary... That's crazy. Forty percent of the Democratic caucus goers yeah. said they'd vote for Trump. Yeah. What? Just against her. Yeah. It's yeah, it's like uh, instead of just an anti-Trump, it's an anti-Clinton now. Uh, Sanders, by the way, took West Virginia. He also took the Nebraska primary. Sixty-one point four percent. Uh, oh, no, that was Trump. Sorry, Trump killed it in Nebraska, of course, because Cruz was out. Cruz made it very clear: I'm not going to win Nebraska. Right. Yeah, fact, no. He, he yeah. reported back to the Senate to all yeah. those cartel members that he's been talking about the last which, few Which months. had to have been – they said the halls were packed, but they were yeah. packed with press. Yeah. Then he goes behind the first door and nobody's there. Hello? Anybody? Anybody? Ted's back. Mom? Uh, Bernie Sanders took the Nebraska primary 57.1% to 42%. Again, does I guess Sanders has not received the message. That, that, that he's mathematically eliminated? Yeah, he's done. Yeah. What I think they say now is uh, they, they don't say anything except Hillary Clinton will be the nominee. It's she, like a statement. She needs 166 more delegates. That's all you need. She also uh, she has, what, something like 91% of what she needs to, to clinch the nomination. She'll get it winning California. Right. But she may get it before then with a few states that are before then. Bernie Sanders needs to, what, he needs to win two-thirds of the remaining delegates. So just a blowout every single time. And like yeah. last night, delegate counts. Was that Nebraska that's on top there? Yeah, de- delegates 14 uh, in Nebraska. Sanders got 14 and Clinton got 10. Right. So he, she lost and still got 10. So the difference obviously being four. That's not a big enough. No. And, and this is how all these last uh, – he's won like, like two or three in a row now, Indiana. Yeah. And these two states here. Uh, but West he, Virginia, he had 16 delegates. She had 11. 
again, she's still winning delegates. It's not like he's taking all the delegates from these states, and he pretty much needs them all to make any dent. And he keeps telling his supporters, you know, we're going we're gonna to take this to the convention, and it's not going to make it there. It's not. But the weird thing about it is it's, it's Hillary's probably running this race like she will the general, where she only needs to win about 20 states. She'll, I think she'll probably win 30 because he's bound to win. They look, it looks like about 24 states. And, and as we've talked about in the past, this blue wall concept. Yeah, that's it. There's, I mean, that's there's, all she's got to win. There's states that have, what, since 1992, they've only voted Democrat every time. She's only got to turn two states. So there's she like, could camp yeah, there. She needs two states. She needs like 28 delegates or 28 electoral votes to, to turn the, the election to her. So. But what about uh, what about this crazy news, though? This may be the, This may be interesting. Ooh. Emails, according to ABC News, emails from Hillary Clinton's IT director mm. at the State Department appear to be missing. Really? The IT director. There's missing emails? Brian that never happens. Pagliano's emails, who also is the guy that received, what's it called, immunity. Oh, Isn't right. the guy? I think so. Mr. Pagliano, they can't, the State Department cannot find any of his emails. Hmm. That is so weird. Yeah. He's the IT guy. He's got to know where they are. You'd think. He's in charge. It's just so strange. He's the guy that nobody really wants to question because they can't understand anything he's saying because he's the IT guy, right? Yeah. He comes up and goes, this doohickey, and everyone's like, oh, right. okay. He's the guy that helped put uh, the server that now uh, – Where was that server? Was it in a bedroom, in the a basement? No, it was in a bathroom. In a bathroom? Okay. In a basement of her house. Okay. So it was in a downstairs bathroom. Bathroom, which just the moisture. Yeah. Just the moisture would ruin it. Anyone in IT knows that. And that, that electronic sort of hum <laughs> noise while in solitude would be kind of annoying. You know what's even more annoying is thinking that – Bill Clinton just got out of the shower. He's got a towel wrapped around him, and Hillary's upstairs. Turn on the router, Bill. Turn on the router. Reset the internet. It's 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 a little buggy this morning. My internet's stuck. That's funny. <laughs> so that's just weird. I just find that weird. Yeah. They're missing. <sighs> One of her aides. Yeah. Left a meeting yesterday. Yeah, she was being interviewed by the FBI. Well, they had agreed on there was questions that they weren't going to but ask, I, I didn't and they, that, they asked. So. But I thought if the FBI is interrogating you about something, they could ask anything. Not if there's an agreement walking in the door that they're not going to ask about certain things. Interesting. And yeah. they asked. And they, they dared uh, to ask. And they, then they pushed that Cheryl question. Mills and she's, left with her and her lawyer stood up, walked out the door. Then they came back. Well, sure. And then, but, but of course, all the media is hanging outside yeah. the door waiting to see. But again, every all of the experts are saying there's no way she's going to be indicted on anything. Except it's just so strange. Hmm. It's not going to matter either. It's not going to matter. People are going to go, well, there's either someone who was shifty with email or Donald Trump. Right. The problem is – And the uh, other side's like, well, there's Donald Trump or there's someone who's shifty with email. Who are the FOIA – pe- who are the people chasing all the FOIA stuff for her um, – Judicial Watch. Yeah, yeah. They're never going to stop. No, they don't they, have to. They're now bringing out Whitewater stuff, too. Of course. Crazy. Because I guess there were like 12. <laughs> Can't just let that die. There were 12 um, write-ups of an indictment, 12 different versions, and so and they were all saved away. Mm-hmm. And then they wouldn't be released by the National Archives because they thought they were too personal. And so now Judicial Watch is fighting for those. So we'll, the neat thing is we'll get to revisit that. Can't wait. Go all through that again. It'll be just like my childhood all over again. 
Hopefully it's Dad, better. what's Whitewater? Well, son, <laughs> there's some criminals in D.C. There was a land development deal <laughs> in Arkansas. SNL issue. Yeah. Uh, so, by the way, Donald Trump swept again, 76.9%. Um, he actually – he dominated considering he was the only guy in the race. Killed it. I came in like a Theodore Cruz uh, had 9% of the vote. He said that if he if he won Nebraska, he'd consider getting back into the race. Yeah, well, he didn't. Yeah, so he got swept. By the way, the way the, the way the Republicans do the delegates, um, at least in West Virginia, if you win the state, you get all the delegates. Yeah, some of them, not are, all of them. Three of them are kind of still up for call. Some are winner winner take win and take all. Mm-hmm. Others are proportional. So, uh, as far as Nebraska is concerned, Donald Trump won Nebraska as well. So you know. Yeah, sixty-one percent. Donald got thirty-six percent of the delegates there, or thirty-six out of thirty-six delegates. <sighs> it's good to be, I guess, Donald Trump at the moment. That sounded weird to say. Except apparently, many many of the the big donors in the GOP still aren't opening their wallets. No, for Mr. Trump. So. I'm not sure, but then again, he'll be mad. I, I don't care. I don't need their money. No, he says he does. He can't self fund his campaign. He says, yeah. So, so you do need the money. So he runs this whole time about I don't. I'm only I'm self funding. I'm not taking outside money. And then he gets to the general, and he kind of changes that mm-hmm. theme. And that's what a lot of people latched onto is he can't be bought. It's his own money. And then now he's taking money. So, how does that change things for him? I don't know. Um. It's changing a message. Just something he ran on. It was kind of an image thing for him. Yeah, it seemed like that shouldn't go that way. Uh, Reuters polling. Have you heard about this? What are they saying? This is this is this may just unite the GOP. Um, apparently, Donald Trump is one point behind Hillary Clinton in a Reuters poll. Yes. By the way, there's also 30% that are undecided. Yes. <laughs> so it's not really polarized yet, but that is the closest anybody has uh, has uh, polled. And who knows? You know, some, and every poll is different. But Reuters has basically said it's, uh, it's, a, it's a dead heat. By the way, when Bernie Sanders mentioned yesterday that uh, he, he's, he's, you know, he may not be able to – to win. He didn't say it that way. But we are for sure going to beat Donald Trump. When that was said, holy cow, lit up. The Democrats seem to be, at least at Bernie's camp, completely united to destroy Donald Trump. Interesting stuff. Uh, Speaking of interesting stuff, let's take a break. When we come back, Dr. Daniel Nielsen will be joining us, talking to us about the Panama Papers And all of those really interesting uh, leaked documents, about 11.5 million million files were leaked about uh, some of the world's largest offshore bank accounts. Who owns them? Who's trying to hide money from whom and why? We'll be talking to an expert on the subject, Dr. Daniel Nelson, when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and love stronger. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, you may have heard in the news about the Panama Papers, and it's it really is something that's making big news internationally. Maybe not as not as big of news in the United States because I guess the elections are going on. But 
there's something about shell companies, uh, these off, uh, these international kind of uh, these. I don't know what we're calling them. These offshore firms, law firms that will help organizations, people set up these shell companies, hidden secret offshore companies and accounts. It seems like a great way to avoid taxes and and um, to, I mean, not avoid, I guess that sounds bad, but to legally follow all of the laws to not have to pay taxes. The problem is a lot of these organizations also are doing illegal things and are funneling their illegal monies through some of these offshore accounts. Now, in the news recently, there uh, there's a big, uh, you know, hullabaloo around the Panama Papers. And the Panama Papers was basically a leak of 11.5 million files from a database in, by the world's fourth largest offshore firm, Mossack Fonseca. And uh, it has now started to... Um, I guess the the information was then leaked to the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. And now all of a sudden, a lot of very popular, famous people and leaders are being exposed as having had a lot of money hidden away in some of these accounts and, um, you know, exploiting offshore regimens and laws. So we wanted to bring somebody in that could help us understand what's going on with these. And who better to do it than Dr. Daniel Nielsen? Dr. Nielsen is a professor and associate chair of the political science department here at Brigham Young University. He's also the founder and principal investigator of Aid Data and is here to kind of walk us through this. Dr. Nielsen, thanks for being here. My pleasure. This is a complicated topic. So I hope you can make it easier for us. Teach us, first of all, shell companies. Why do shell companies exist? Are they all – is everybody that has a shell company or a, you know an offshore account, are they all a bunch of scoundrels? Uh, shell companies uh, aren't really what we think about when we think about corporations. They don't have employees. Yeah. They don't have – Benefit plans, right. right? They don't have payrolls. They parking don't have anything passes. like pa- parking yeah. passes. They, they, yeah. they don't. They don't really have locations, uh, even. Uh, shells are super useful in the world, and and I think without them, it's hard to see commerce, modern commerce, continuing. Really, so yeah. they're really important. No, are they just uh, pass through entities? What are they? They often are. Some, sometimes they're holding companies. Okay. So let's say that, that two companies, one from Canada and one from the U.S., wanted to enter in a partnership. Well, they may not want to cooperate in either Canada or the U.S. because one of the, one or the other of them would then have an advantage right. in the in the political system or in the in the in the legal system. Uh-huh. And so they'll 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 go to British Virgin Islands, which is the most important uh, offshore uh, offshore location. Uh, and, and BVI has a really good uh, legal system uh, and it's a stable country uh, and they mostly do this. Hmm. You know, that's, you know, that's, they're, they're I think 10 times more firms than people in the British Virgin Islands, <laughs> right? right? So, so yeah. uh, and so that, that gives them a neutral playing field. Yeah. Uh, and so they can have a holding company that, that manages this joint operation uh, that, then is, that then is held in a place where they, where they have, you know, reasonable um, laws and, and, uh, and then kind of an even – you know, an even partnership. So these companies would would then just call a law firm down in the right. in the Virgin Islands. Is that what you call it? British Virgin Br- Islands? British, yeah, yeah BVI. Um, then they would set it up, and the monies would then from this new deal or this new opportunity would then be sent down there. Right, and that seems pretty legit. 
That yeah. seems necessary, right. And, right. and it's protected. And if there's right. an issue, we yeah. go to court down there yeah. and handle it. Yeah, and, and the best example I can think of of the use of shell companies is Walt Disney. So when Walt Disney was buying all the land that is now Disney World in, in, in Orlando, Florida, um, if he had gone to all those landowners and said, hey, I'm Walt Disney. He was pretty famous at the time. Yeah. Uh, and I want to buy your land, they might have come up with a different price for him. Right. Uh, so instead, he uh, used a bunch of shell companies uh, and like Tomahawk Properties was mm-hmm. one of them. Uh, and then his agents would approach landowners and say, how much do you want for your land? And they, and they got a fair market value there you go. for the land. And, and actually, if you, if you visit Main Street USA in, in Disney World today, you can look up at the second story windows and the names of those shell companies are in those second story windows. Oh, are they yeah, really? really it's, you know, That's great. It's kind of fun. So, That's a cool history. So, um, so, so shell companies, again, important for commerce uh, and, um, and they, you, know, they, you know, without them, I think we'd, you know, we'd, ha- we'd struggle. Yeah. Uh, but, but we can't think of a, any good reason for an anonymous shell company. OK. So an anonymous one, all of a sudden there's no name on the shell company. There's, there's no way to trace – who it belongs uh, who to. Who belongs to. We call that the beneficial owner. So this is the person that is ultimately in control of the company. Right. And there are all kinds of ways to hide that. Uh, and the U.S. actually, uh, you know, this uh, corporate law is governed by the states. And as far as I know, there's no state in the United States that requires uh, the identification by name of the beneficial owner. Instead, it will require a nominee director or someone else that's, that, that sort of is – Nominally, like in the, charge of like the company, the steward supposedly yeah. that the government could talk to. But this is the, but this is often a this is often a a, a feature that's offered to uh, customers that are getting incorporated. Um, that the that the incorporation company will say we, we can give you a nominee director. Oh, we'll just we'll let you borrow one. We'll let you borrow one, right? And that and that happens. That's very common. Interesting. Um, you know, one of the most interesting stories about that is there the, in two thousand and. Um, Nine, I believe it might have been two thousand eight. Uh, there was a, an arms shipment from uh, Iran to North Korea. Now these are two uh, of the three axes of uh, evil, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the George enemies, Bush, right? So right. you know, these are the, you know, That's weird. and and yeah. uh, and and it was a big it was a big plane, a cargo plane full of arms, you know, rocket launchers and you know, surface to air missiles and and uh, all these things. Uh, and it was inter- intercepted at the Bangkok airport in Thailand. And when they, uh, you know, when they looked at the manifest of the airplane to see who had leased the airplane, it was leased to a company in New Zealand. Um, and uh, and uh, I'm trying to remember the, the the I don't know why I'm blanking on the woman's name, but but there there was a woman who was a Chinese national who had recently immigrated to New Zealand, and they arrested her in New Zealand. Uh, you know, for for yeah. busting these this arms sanctions, uh, and uh, um, she had no idea. Uh, <laughs> it turns out that she'd been a patsy for this incorporation service that had her be nominee nominee director on scores of companies, and she had no idea she was involved no, in she, a huge no. arms deal that would then she make had no big idea. news in the world. No, in fact, rather she worked at Burger King. Actually, <laughs> Holy cow. so so uh, so so that's what a nominee director, and so and so the the ultimate beneficial owners who did the shipment of arms, you know, this illegal arms yeah. shipment. Completely untraceable. Wow. Uh, so this kind of thing happens all the time. And I guess that's where this gets hairy because um, 
the now now come in what they're calling the Panama Papers, which was the publication of 11.5 million leaked records from a law firm, Mossack Fonseca, that um, now reveals. So now people have access to all of these accounts, all of these people, names, and they're trying to figure out who they belong to. But apparently. I mean this is where they launder money, right? Through, right. through these anonymous ones. That's where we're laundering money. And yep. I guess the big fear is that's where terrorists could get uh, money into the country, could yep. get money out of right. the country. So what is – when we hear about the Panama Papers, I mean now uh, Putin's been attributed to some, right. one of these or two of these com- – or multiple companies I guess. And about 12 other national leaders, 143 politicians, um, families that are associated with this. Uh, we're talking billions and billions of dollars or trillions of dollars. I guess total, $22.9 trillion is the total sum estimated that's hidden away in these tax havens. Right. And I guess that's the other benefit is you don't have to pay taxes till yeah. the money, I guess, either comes into the country or into Canada on our other deal we were talking about. Yeah. Well, it, it, I mean, it depends on the national law. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. is not super happy about people using – these shelters illegally, and, yeah. there, and there are lots of there are lots of restrictions on on how you know and on where the money is earned, and and so you know Apple Apple Corporation has all of these shell companies all over the world, and they don't pay very many taxes. But as far as we can tell, that's entirely legal. Yeah. But a lot of people, that's not the case, right? right. They, they earn the money in the U.S. It, it is taxable income, but they you know through. You know, through nominee directors and anonymous shell companies, they get the money out. It sits in, you know, it sits in a in an offshore bank account. Right. Uh, it doesn't get taxed, and and uh, wow. or they don't pay taxes on it, even though it, you know, they, you know, they they have an assessment they're supposed to they're supposed to pay. Tax evasion is one of the main, uh, um, you know, ways uh, that people use anonymous shell companies. Uh, money laundering is another one, uh, and so and that those are the ones that I worry the most about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I got into this because I study international corruption. Yeah. Uh, in, in you know, because I I'm a I'm an international development scholar, and so yeah. I study you know how we get pe- you know uh, people and uh, and countries out of poverty. But one of the biggest impediments to this is you know bad government leaders that steal money from the public trust and then and then launder it right, and they, right. And, they and they get it into these offshore places, and that actually is, accounts for a large. You know, I think a large portion of the anonymous shell companies and the way they move money. So, is that the biggest issue when we're talking about the Panama Papers? Is it just that now we're seeing who's behind some of these illegal, the illegal ones? I guess right. The one and it's starting to expose people. I mean, David Cameron's parents from the UK. They're involved in they're they're involved. But, But how do you discern between just a healthy, normal one and one that's Stealing or doing something it's, nefarious. It's really hard, right? I mean, for me, one of the one of the dead giveaways is is it an anonymous shell? Is it untraceable? That's it, right? And, but of course, if it's untraceable, you can't find out who did it. Uh, and so, um, I mean, what, what's what's interesting is that the names that are coming out, right? Those are for companies that are not anonymous. Yeah. Right. Because Mossack Fonseca ha- actually kept the records. That's true. Right? Yeah. And and Panama was one of our weakest performers. We did a global study uh, of 181 countries, uh, the the firms in their in their um, the incorporation firms and law firms that do business law cor- corporate law in these countries. We contacted um, 
roughly 4,000 companies in two different rounds. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, and it was kind of a secret shopper yeah. uh, exercise. And uh, this is my, co- my co-authors and I. And, um, and we, uh, uh, we learned that some countries aren't so good. Right. Some of the best performers were, were, were actually the, the, uh, the tax havens. But Panama they, yeah. was among the worst. Were they really? Yeah. And, and worse, just meaning in managing it and in, in allowing illegal activity to the, take our place? Our key question is would they allow us to incorporate with, without giving the name of the beneficial owner? So would they enable an anonymous shell company? Interesting. Uh, and uh, and, and the, the hardest places to get an anonymous shell were actually the Cayman Islands. Which you wouldn't think, right. uh, you know, would be would be a good performer, and then the British Channel Islands, uh, you know, Isle of Man, uh, uh, Jersey and Guernsey, uh, and there were lots of other places. BVI was a very strong performer. Mm. Did, did you know all, nearly in every single instance asked for notarized photo ID? That's the yeah, standard. Really, that's right? the standard. And um, but Panama was was among the weakest, among especially among the tax havens, because the tax havens as a whole were better performers. Largely because they had lots of pressure put on them right. by the United States and the UK and other governments to be more transparent. And then all of a sudden, boom, somebody breaks the code, right. gets in, steals the records and right. now – but it's interesting because you, you can now start to tie money to people. And, yes, right. Um, yeah, that's in, right. And, and yeah. it's not clear to me that there has been uh, – you know, I haven't seen anything um, involving anyone – you know, sort of famous right. that, that is truly illegal. Yeah. It, just, it just unseemly. That's I right? guess That's what it challenge. is, and you don't know, um, right? I mean, yeah. you don't know. Well, and what's fascinating to me is that there aren't very many Americans that are well known. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, the, the ones that have come out have been, you know, sort of, you know, questionable stuff, right? <laughs> um, but they're, but they're not really, you know, uh, um, household names, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think that might be because the easiest place in the world to get an anonymous shell company is the United States. Is the United States, and that's what I want to talk about. Yeah. If it's if it is so nefarious in in many instances and dangerous in a way because it could lead to you know terrorism or at least the financing right. of terrorism, the U.S. We're the best at it. We're the best at making it easy for you to get your shell company organized. I want to come back. We'll talk about that. More with Dr. Daniel Nilsson here from Brigham Young University, professor and associate chair of the political sciences department here at Brigham Young University. We'll take a break, folks. We'll be right back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Daniel Nilsson's joining us today. We are talking about uh, shell companies and offshore accounts, really, because I guess that could be every type of account imaginable. I mean, trust accounts, I'm, I'm assuming, um, uh, I guess, um, are, they, are they bank accounts? Is that where the money is stored? We're asking all of these questions to Dr. Daniel Nilsson. He's a professor and associate chair of political science here at Brigham Young University. He's also the founder and principal investigator of Aid Data, um, and we're glad to have you back, Dr. Nielsen. It's my pleasure. Talk about Aid Data. What is what is what was your uh, research using Aid Data? Uh, uh, good question. I mean, it, I'm really interested in, in the way money moves around the world, especially in the way it might help relieve poverty. And so, a group of us uh, at BYU and the College of William and Mary. Um, 
Uh, now it's expanded to include the University of Texas. Uh, you know, many years ago, 10 years ago or so, uh, started a, this group, Aid Data, which now has the largest repository of information on foreign aid. That's great. Uh, so, you know, it, it's and where not, it's going and how it's yeah, going. Yeah, and mostly, mostly official aid. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm really interested in all of the money. And so that's why we wrote this book, Global Shell Games. Uh, to, to track some of the some of the money that goes maybe for not such good purposes, interesting, yeah, uh, internationally. But I'm very interested in that. Um, Fascinating. And then, isn't I mean, that wild? You're you're looking at charitable kind of giving, and then you also have to look at the, the darker stuff. Yeah, right. I mean, and you want a world where money flows freely because that helps people, right? It gets it gets capital into the hands of entrepreneurs in developing countries who know what you know they're. You know their customers want, yeah. Uh, and and as far as I can tell, that's the surest way to to economic development is to give people good jobs. Uh, and to get right. good jobs, you got to have good ideas for products, right? And and so you want you want a system that is that is free flowing like this, but 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 you don't want it to be free flowing in a way that law enforcement can't, can't step in yeah. and and actually get the bad guys. Is it um, because there are benefits? It seems to be able to have a little anonymity. Internationally, like you were describing, buying property somewhere that you don't yeah. have to go in necessarily under your name, but under another right. company name. Yeah, and so limited liability yeah. corporations, which is what we were asking for in our study, and we stopped once they told us what documents were required. So if they said, you know, we need you know notarized photo ID, we said thank you, our needs have been met. Right, that's uh, all and, you needed. Uh, and so um, that's all we were interested in. Now, my my co-author Jason Sharman. Uh, a professor at Griffith University in Australia, he actually went all the way down the line uh, like 45 times uh, and, and did everything except the final transfer of cash, uh, of money to buy the company. Wow. Uh, and so you know, we're pretty confident that, that what we learned up front was very similar to what would have happened at the end. No one changed their minds later. Yeah. But these, um, these countries that are offering them, again, like you were saying, in the United States – we we're we're the easiest place to get a shell company. That's correct. And I mean, places like Wyoming are putting out a lot. Nevada, Nevada, are out a lot. Montana, three yeah. of you know three of our neighbors. And yeah. is that what what is it? Are they do they make money doing this? How oh, much yeah. money is made? This is, this do they is, get a percentage? Do they get a yes? So a tax? yes. So they I mean they charge a fee, uh, and and basically what they're doing is retailing companies. So they've uh, they've hired lawyers. Uh, or or purchased companies from from wholesalers who have a team of lawyers, and all they do is is file the the necessary information uh, to to get um, you know a license for for a company yeah. with the government. Is um, and and so and so now they have these companies, and you can buy and sell companies just like you can buy and sell anything. Wow! But some of these companies, you know, internationally. Now, most like Fonseca is a law firm, so they do other things too. But mostly, what they do is this: is offshore, you know, uh, accounts and uh, and companies, um, and uh, at least as far as I know, uh, yeah. and uh, that seems to be what's come out. Um, but but some of these companies are worth you know hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. internationally, and most like Fonseca is one of them. Right? It's very very lucrative. And so that's uh, why this was such a coup because it was a big deal, major yeah. issue, yeah, a big deal. How is it? How is it helping us? I mean. It is creating some transparency, apparently more transparency than than at least these the the people whose records were infiltrated. They didn't want everyone to know this, right? Yeah. So I think just you know this is one of the beautiful things about you know open societies is that is that when when the spotlight is shined, 
you know, on, you know, on stuff that, you know, was happening in the dark, uh, in the shadows. Now people get interested and they start demanding more change. Um, for many years, uh, the U.S. Congress led by, you know, by the Senate has tried to change these laws in the United States to make us so we're not the leading – The capital know, of it. The leading offshore, you know, uh, um, offshore location, uh, easiest place to get an anonymous shell company. Uh, but it's always been blocked, right? Uh, because these incorporation services are big business. Yeah, and they don't money. they don't want it changed. They don't want the law changed. In fact, President Obama was actually a co sponsor on the on this bill, you know, many years ago. Uh Carl Levin is was pushing it, you know, uh during his career. So um uh but now actually it looks like there might be some action. Oh really? Uh and uh you know it's still sort of you know er, I mean several bills have been introduced. Yeah. Uh and we'll see if they go forward. They might get blocked again. Uh, but you know, I think people start to realize that that this is you know there's real harm. Tell us the dark side. So what? Give us the worst case scenarios that that which is why we need to create some legislation. Um, so you know, I mean, there are lots of stories that we have in the book um, that that uh, you know that you know make us make us really worry. Um, you know, as far as we can tell, uh, terrorist financing. Is the, is kind of the scariest thing for everyone, but there's not much evidence that they use anonymous shells that much. Yeah, I mean the the best case we could find that that had federal indictments was actually one that took place here in Utah. What? Uh, a couple of um, of relatives and friends of uh, one of the Al Qaeda, uh, you know, uh, head uh, leaders um, had. Uh, make sure I get the details right. They um, they used some some kind of phony companies to do some real estate fraud, and and allegedly sent the money back to Al Qaeda. Oh. Um, and uh, uh, but in in Utah, it's hard to get anonymous shell companies. These weren't anonymous, but they were shell companies. So they could be tracked down. They could be tracked, but they could only only be tracked until the money. Left gone, the right. U.S. to another shell company somewhere else, okay. and then and then the trail gone. goes cold. But they were tied, you know, with Al Qaeda. Had you know had ties to, hmm. uh, you know, to some of the the financiers of Al Qaeda. But it turns out terrorism is not that expensive. Yeah, right. It just doesn't cost that much money, and so the amounts we're talking about are really limited, especially compared to the corruption. Right. And the other thing too is that. You know, in our study, we did an experiment. It was it was a huge global experiment, as far as we can tell, the first of its kind, uh, and um, and we changed the we changed the the information we gave to the companies. Uh, so we used we used we used aliases. Yeah. So we pretended to be someone we're not, uh, and uh, uh, and it was the only way we could figure out how to do it. And you know, we we got clearance from from the. Institutional Review Board right. that does the IRB because this got, is the, yeah. you know, because this is important right. research that we need to learn about, and um, uh, and we, and we also changed the profile of the requester. So these were all consultants, but some of them, you know, most of them were from uh, you know small power, uh, you know, low corruption European countries, uh, and but but then sometimes we would come from other countries. So we we had this uh, profile we called uh, we called Guinea Stand. Oh, so boy. it was the four Guineas, yeah. uh, Papua New Guinea, Ecuador, yeah. Guinea, uh, Guinea, and Guinea-Bissau, uh, and then four of the Central Asian republics. And the only thing that, that, that those two groups have in common is that they are among the most corrupt countries in the world. Wow. And, and that and that profile, we said, you know, we said we were um, we were working in government procurement, which is by far the most corrupt sector. 
And what we found is that if that profile made the request, um, many companies that would have answered the Europeans didn't answer. But it turns out those were the good guys. Those are the ones that would have demanded notarized photo ID. Oh, wow. Uh, they dropped out because that was too sketchy They're for them. They're not playing that one. But the bad guys, the ones that never asked for photo ID, they stayed in. So it actually – corruption actually made it easier to get an anonymous shell company. Really? Uh, that was yeah. not the case for terrorism. So terrorism you – know, we had a terrorist profile that came from you know, one of four sort of ter- countries involved in terrorism or you know, been linked to terrorism. And we said we worked in Saudi Arabia for Islamic charities. So we tried to raise every red flag we could for yeah. terrorism. Now that got people's attention. And in that case – both the good guys dropped out, not surprisingly, okay. but also the bad guys did, right? Those who were, were they not – They don't want to mess with terrorists. The, the guys that were not, you know, that were not demanding yeah. uh, uh, documents, they were dropping out at greater rates. But that, but that was just statistically significant. It turns out that if you started looking for – if you were a terrorist and looking for an anonymous shell company, started at breakfast, you could be done by, by lunch and have an anonymous shell company in your hands. Set up. Yeah. So I guess though too, I mean it, it seems like drug deals or like really large yeah, illegal so, – right, the – Businesses, the, yes, drugs. Um, you know, this is they do lots of money laundering. In fact, the international rules that require this notarized photo ID they were they were they were begun. You know, in the fight against money laundering from drugs. This is like, part of the drug war. I guess. I guess as a just as a layperson, I, I hear the stories about the Panama Papers. You hear that somehow um, Putin is, you know, quietly pushing. Billions of dollars through yeah. some of these shell companies. Um, is there anything? What could I do to make it safer, or at least push my legislators? Yeah, two things. One, um, you know, it would be good to press Congress uh, for tighter laws. It's way easier to get a co- to get a company in the United States than it is to get a driver's license. Mm. Uh, and in fact, when you get a company, they don't ask for your driver's license. Don't they? Really? They don't ask for any ID. Yeah, right, uh, for the for the beneficial owner. So that would be good. It would yeah. be really good to press uh, for for tighter laws. I'm not particularly interested in, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to limit uh, uh, commerce, right? But I certainly would like law enforcement to have access, uh, you know, to the beneficial owners, know who they are, so that if bad things happen with that company, they can track them down and quickly, right? But I guess that's it. That that they'll, they'll then take it very quickly to another shell company that is anonymous. So they'll just yeah, and so move it, it. so the other thing is it needs to be international. I mean, now right now the biggest problem, as far as we could tell from our study, was in in the United States. Delaware was the easiest place in the world to get an anonymous shell, uh, followed closely by Wyoming, Nevada, Montana, hmm. uh, and so. Um, but the other thing is, you know, we need to shut down, you know, most of this. And, and what's interesting is that is that the the Financial Action Task Force, which is the international organization charged with with, with solving this problem, they've had lots of successes. Have so those 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 um, offshore tax havens uh, that that are so good at, at complying, and they always nearly always asked for notarized photo ID from us. Um, they didn't used to be. But now they are because of the pressure that they come under right. uh, from the Financial Action Task Force. They have a blacklist. And if you show up in that blacklist, you start, you start losing investment and that's bad for you. Yeah. And so they work very hard to get off the blacklist. That's and, so, and so we, could, we can use the F- FATF for this as well, but it needs to be with, with greater pressure. Wow. Great. I mean it really is it's, – it's something that most of us don't know anything about and yet yeah. it's going right. on and to the tune of trillions of dollars. And trillions yeah. of dollars of probably tax loss. 
that is a big deal, right? So, I mean, there's a bunch of people in this country free riding on our tax system. Yeah. And that just doesn't seem fair no. to most of us. We need to get uh, and there. And they're doing it, yeah, and they're doing it because they can, uh, because the international financial system is, is, is very good for business, yeah. but, but yet too good in a, few, in a few spots probably. Right. Oh, man. Fascinating stuff. Well, we appreciate you being here, Dr. Nielsen. Again, um, the book is Global Shell Games. Go check it out, folks. I, apparently, we'll get the inside scoop on a lot of dirty, dirty business. That's kind of scary. Uh, Dr. Daniel Nielsen, again, professor and associate chair of political science at Brigham Young University. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Interesting stuff, my friends. Interesting. Man, we're learning, aren't we? Uh, who'd have thunk? I mean, you knew it, right? Businesses can get dirty. You've heard of money laundering. You've heard of the offshore bank accounts that everybody beats you up on. We'll be right back. Continue the discussion after this break. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. So, now you're going to go get a little offshore bank account? What a great problem to have. Where am I going to hide my millions? Well, right now I just hide it under my bed in a wig box. These younger generation don't even know what a wig box is. Box for your wig? How did you know that? Um, Context clues... Brilliant. Yeah. Man, you're smart. (laughs) Try to see if you can figure out this one, okay? You ready? Yep. Uh, A pizza. uh, So a fake pizza delivery man arrests a mafia boss. Ready? Hang on for the ride. A pizza and soccer-loving mafia boss in Naples is on his way to prison, not the Museum of Italian Stereotypes. (laughs) Cops say 35-year-old Roberto Manganiello was arrested at his home Saturday night by police officers disguised as a pizza delivery man. See? This is so stereotypical. He had been on the run since 2013 and was listed as one of Italy's 100 most dangerous criminals for crimes. That included, by the way, an alleged 2004 double murder that started a bloody feud in the Camorra uh, Mafia clan. Police say he was running a drug and extortion racket from his home in North Naples where he was arrested without incident after opening the door to the phony pizza boys. Two, I guess, or so delivery boys got him. The Independent notes, uh, which is their newspaper, that after the arrest, Manganiello's day got even worse when his home team uh, from Napoli was beaten 2-0 by Inter Milan ending its hopes of the first league title since 1990. Oh, come on! I know. So all of a sudden, you just think you're going to get a pizza. See, that honestly is about as disappointing as it gets. Have you ever just been waiting for the pizza guy? The anticipation for the pizza. You get arrested. And then all of a sudden... Your soccer team loses. Oh! And you find out, let's just say, you're sitting in your robe in the back of the police car. And the, starving. The radio's on. Yeah. And then you find out they lost. Mm. I feel so bad for these mafia bosses. Honestly, though, is there anything better? Work with me here, Ben. 
anything better than the first bite of a warm pizza. It has to be the right – like it can't be hot. It has to be – Yeah, you don't want to like burn your mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you don't want it cold. True. You want it – that first bite, it's just – it's the little triangle at the center of the pizza pie. What I do at my house, I just take every one of those first bites and just put them back. Well, if you think about it, you need to – when choosing a pizza – like shop, you need to choose one that's like the perfect distance from your house. Totally. So they don't get it there too fast. Yes. And you don't like, – And make sure that they're not near a police station. True. True. Because that – That could ruin your week. But really that is so stereotypical. How did you How did you catch Mr. Gotti? He you was eating pizza. He was ordering some pizza and we just had some guys deliver the pizza. Yeah. Boy, I do not do Italian accents. Many would say I don't do any accent, even English. You can do a good Irish one. Okay. Every morning. Top of the morning to you. Okay, never mind. <laughs> that was kind of more – that seems Scottish to me. That was like Irish-American. Mm-hmm. A little Irish Gaelic. Who knows? We're coming right back, folks. Don't go away. We will be uh, talking about how to solve unsolvable problems. Do you have an unsolvable problem in your life? Stick with us. We will be uh, giving you the tools, the information you need to solve those there problems and keep your uh, life happy and healthy. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, top of the morning to you. Welcome to the program, hour number two. And uh, have we got a topic for you? Do you have any problems that are unsolvable? Just things you can't fix. Maybe an argument you have consistently with your spouse. Maybe your kids won't listen to you about something and you can't solve a problem. Well, we have got the guest of all guests, Dr. David Niven, will be joining us in a bit about to talk about his book, It's Not About the Shark, How to Solve Unsolvable Problems. And... Um, we will get into that in depth. We will also be talking about how to say goodbye to your wrinkles. And I'm not talking your cat. I'm talking those wrinkles on your face. So we will get there's there's out there there is a new a new what do you call it? Uh, application cream that you put on your face that came out of Harvard that will eliminate your wrinkles. Sure it burns. Not a big deal. <laughs> no, it doesn't burn. <laughs> I'm just kidding you there. It doesn't burn, but it, it's a really cool way to um, eliminate wrinkles. I'm going to talk about it. Not that I have any, but my wife says I do. So we will get to that. Uh, also, we, we are going to, in the first uh, few minutes of the show, we will be talking about Donald Trump and um, w- and some research about what do you dislike more than Donald Trump. It's a pretty fun little game we will be playing, so stick with us on that. 
All of that ahead. But first, we must get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Caitlin, what's in the news? Well, thanks, Matt. You Speaking bet. of Donald Trump, when it comes to him picking a vice president candidate, Trump's list is down to five or six people. And while he wouldn't disclose any names, he did say he hasn't ruled out New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Trump is looking for someone who has already been elected so that, quote, for the most part, they've been vetted over the last 20 years. If Trump picks someone from the business world or from the military, the vetting will be a whole different story. On Tuesday night, office supply giant Staples and Office Depot said they will scrap their proposed merger valued at $6.3 billion after a federal judge in Washington blocked the deal. The Federal Trade Commission had sued the two companies last year, arguing that a combined office supply giant would reduce competition and harm consumers, especially the large businesses that order office supplies in bulk. Severe storms rolled into the Ohio Valley Tuesday afternoon and evening, and at least 10 people were confirmed hurt when a tornado hit western Kentucky. The statement also confirmed damage to homes and businesses, but did not specify how many structures suffered significant damage. None of the injuries were life-threatening. On Wednesday morning, heavy rainfall caused some serious problems near Nashville. Water entered at least one home in Tennessee, and flooding was reported at a nearby shopping center. Water rescuers were reported Wednesday morning in several northwestern Tennessee towns. Donald Trump made it clear to the New York Times that he has no interest in toning down his unconventional campaign for the sake of uniting the Republican Party. In fact, Trump claimed he had a mandate from supporters to keep up approaches others have accused of being racist, sexist, and xenophobic. In Trump's own words, he said, You win the pennant, and now you're in the World Series. You gonna change? People like what I'm doing. And finally, NASA announced Tuesday that its Kepler Space Telescope has discovered another 1,284 planets. The latest finding marks the single largest discovery of planets ever and more than doubles the number of planets that Kepler has confirmed. NASA believes some of the new planets discovered are roughly the same size as Earth and could be inhabitable. That's it, Matt. What? Some of them are the same size as Earth and could be could be inhabitable. Better believe it. Wow. Well, I know where we could send some people in the political race that... <laughs> Let's send you. If they want to take their... Pe- what, what was that? Let's send a few. No, then I'm just here to do your news update. Okay, good. Well, gosh, Caitlin, good to have you with us, Caitlin Thomas. Yeah, let's send them off to one of the 1,284 new planets. All of a sudden, we just found 1,284 new planets? Like, did they just turn on a light or something? Hey, holy cow. Kepler's killing it. That's pretty cool. Since 2009, they've been watching more than 150,000 stars. And apparently some of those have now warranted the title of planet. Congratulations to those that have been promoted. We'd like to welcome all the new planets. Thank you. Please take your orbit. (laughs) It's so hard to do this every day. Why is that? You just look at me. Well, it's like you're <laughs> just let me. You don't laugh. You don't get involved. You just look at just me. Just kind of waiting to see where you're headed with the whole planet thing. I think it's fantastic. It's like they found planets. Great. No, it's it's like you just found a stash of candy. Mm, no, not really. Well, it is for some astrologists. Well, yeah, they're they're having a, a ball with it. <laughs> but at the same time, Jimmy, it's going to take. We found another one. How long is it going to take to decide whether they're inhabitable or not? Or... Nah, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. It kind of does. It's the whole point. No, it shows you searching there for is life. a God in heaven. That's what it shows you. That 
shows you that. This was all by accident? No. No, 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 no. So they should just stop. No. They should stop right now. No, keep going. Oh, okay. Keep Because that's where I'm interested. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I kind of thought there's probably planets. Oh, so you knew this? No. Come on. Reason. The, is this because – was it in a Marvels comic? Probably, yeah. There's tons of planets. <laughs> They're all flying around out there. The superheroes that we don't even know about yet. That's what I want to know. But all they're telling us is there's planets and there might be life, but we don't know. We won't find life. You don't think so? No. You know why? I, we were talking about it earlier. If we just – let's say that we found a habitable planet and we sent somebody there. Yeah. And we you, send a ship. Let's say it took 20 years. Yeah. Do you honestly believe when they get there, they're going to want to come back? Not some of the 20 years back. And it's going to be awesome there. Really? Yeah. Okay. 20 years from now, can you imagine what this world will look like post-Clinton, post-Trump? 20 years down the road? It's going to be crazy. Yeah. Who knows? Unless Bernie gets there. Well, Bernie won't make 20 years. That's rude. Just a fact of nature. (sighs) (laughs) Hey, unless, of course, did you hear about the new wrinkling cream, anti-wrinkle cream? What do they make it out of? I don't know. What, what bug did they mush up and they wanted to put all over your Harvard face? Harvard put it together. Harvard. Say goodbye to eye bags and arm wrinkles, which, by the way, have you seen Ben's arm wrinkles? It's really unsightly. How do you guys see them? I always wear a shirt. No, you wear a wife beater muscle tee thing. Yeah, a shirt. It's okay. just the, the waving and then he stops, yeah. but it doesn't. They hit like, yeah. um, scientists <laughs> at MIT uh, and Harvard – could be headed to the makeup shelf near you. Hmm. A second skin coating, which has been tested on eye bags and wrinkled arms and legs on a handful of volunteers, is composed of commonly used chemicals deemed safe by the FDA. So far, no one has reported allergic reactions. And when you put it on, it really, it like tightens up your skin. Hmm. Right? And then the the, the problem is, is you have to just keep... Treating yourself. You have so to keep is, doing it. Is it like on uh, the Back to the Future movie where he gets in the coat, it self-dries, and then cinches up to fit him perfectly? Self-tailoring jacket, so kind of like self-tailoring skin? Is that what you're talking about? You don't have to ruin this story. I'm not ruining it. You're saying it just tightens it up. Geek fest he enhanced moment. the story. I enhanced it. Yeah, it's like that. Maybe it's someone's like a, actually seen that movie and instead of trying to listen to you describe what Harvard's doing with some chemicals. Yeah, it's like that. It sounds safe, it's by like the way. It's like getting a suit on and then it self-tightens. Just bathe yourself in these chemicals. We told you they're safe. These are the chemicals. <laughs> the chemicals are silo, silo, silozane, silicon, and oxygen. Oh, oxygen. I mean, who hasn't put oxygen on every morning? Right. <laughs> and I put silicon on it as well. So anyway, it stops gravity. It will. It will be. It will. Dis- the effects will, of gravity, not gravity itself. No, it stops it totally. Really? Yeah. You, might you start float to away. float. You're well, so. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it says it right here. Uh, it's. A, did you know the anti-aging market will be worth 192 billion globally by 2019? Yep. You don't even care. I, I'm. I'm planning I can on hardly it. wait. I'm planning on accepting aging, not fighting it. I will age gracefully. Okay. I wish you the best. And all of your Marvel comics. Uh, Donald Trump. Yes. So they did a poll? Public policy polling. PPP. That's P-P-P. a big polling company. Three Ps. They, uh, they, they, they tend to do some legitimate polls. 
They tend to, yes. And then they also tend to kind of have some fun. So I think some people get bored and they try to figure out a way to make this interesting. This also shows you that statisticians can have fun too. Yes. So there's a whole bunch before a bunch of information before this, but it's like, you know, if you're Bernie Sanders and Trump, who would you pick? And la, 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 la. But the fun stuff is this. It says it's been a lot of recent coverage of Donald Trump's embrace of various conspiracy theories. So we asked about a, a bunch of them on this poll to see which one of his uh, uh, which ones his supporters believe and which ones uh, they even say are a bridge too far. Among- so, so these are the people that Donald is saying, hey, I don't need the Republican Party necessarily because yes. I have my people supporting my- me. So this is a poll of his people and which conspiracy conspiracy theories theories they believe in. We'll do another. There's more information after this, but this one's fun. Good. Uh, How many percent? What's the percentage you think that think President Obama is a Muslim? Of Donald Trump's followers, I would say 60 percent. 65 percent. Holy Hannah. How many how many of his supporters do you think believe that Obama is a Christian? Oh, Believe it? Yeah. 20%. So it's 13% here. <laughs> Sad. Keep going. What percentage of Donald Trump supporters believe that President Obama was not born in the U.S.? Oh, 80%. 59. Oh, lower than those that think he's not a citizen. Okay. Yeah. How many people do you, how many supporters do you believe think that President Obama was born in the United States? 12. 23. Mercy. Yeah. Uh, how, what percentage of Donald Trump supporters think that uh, Justice Anseline Scalia was murdered? Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, die in his sleep. 70%. 24. Okay, good. 42 think he died naturally. Another 34, not quite sure. We don't, we don't know how he died. Kind of undecided on that one. <laughs> so they, they're into conspiracy of that. What percentage do you think uh, believe that Ted Cruz's father was involved in the JFK assassination? 65%. Oh, it's on the fold. Negative seven, it says. Negative seven. No, no, no. Seven percent. Seven percent believe it. Seven percent believe that Ted Cruz's father was involved in the assassination. Well, that's an interesting thing. So why did he throw that out there? Yeah, no. Fifty-five percent think he was not involved. Another, what is this? Twenty-eight, thirty-eight percent think he is unsure on the issue. I'm not sure. Maybe he was. So interesting. I wasn't there. Uh, And closing the loop on the greatest conspiracy theories of this election cycle, a rare one that Trump didn't embrace. How many voters that support Donald Trump think that Ted Cruz is the Zodiac Killer? Holy cow. As we've talked about before. Okay, I would say 20% think he's the Zodiac Killer. Five. Okay, good. That's good. 18% are unsure. 77% find Cruz not guilty of the charge of being a serial killer when he was in diapers. <laughs> Ted Cruz isn't even old enough to be the serial, to be the Zodiac Killer. But I know, but it sometimes that doesn't matter. That's doesn't just matter. a technicality. Um, and then, of course, we've heard that Donald Trump is very unpopular. I've heard that. With many groups of people. Yeah. Um, we find that to be the case. The, the public pol- pol- policy polling finds that to be the case. 34% of voters have a favorable opinion of Trump. 61% have an unfavorable opinion. Hmm. Right? It says they, they decided to take it a step further and compare him to other things that generally people dislike yeah. compared like, to yeah, Donald like Trump. Like a spider. So Donald Trump... Versus hemorrhoids. Wow. What does the PPP poll say? Uh, Trump wins that matchup 45 to 39. Whew. That's huge. That so is huge. That, that's, that's some big information there. Ah, that's goodness. What about Donald Trump versus cockroaches? <gasps> um, I'm going to say cockroaches. Are more preferable. Trump wins forty six to forty two. Really close. Four, that is really good. Though. He gets a four point win in that one. Good, good, good. 
Um, the band Nickelback has a lot of uh, haters, you yeah. can say. People don't appreciate Nickelback. There's There's been campaign stops for Ted Cruz and Trump where people just scream out, you like Nickelback, as an, <laughs> as an insult. So what do you so think about sad. Trump versus the band from Canada, Nickelback? I'm going to bet he's better than Nickelback. Nickelback, 39 to 34. A five-point win for Nickelback. Oh, wow. <laughs> what about Trump versus a used car salesman? So is Trump preferred over a used car salesman? No. I'd I'd say no. Used car salesman, 47 to 41. Holy cow. Yeah. Then you have uh, traffic jams. So I would say people would prefer Trump over a traffic jam. Traffic jams. Are you kidding? 47 to 40. What about hipsters? I think hipsters are great. So I would say hipsters are preferred to over Trump. Hipsters win 45 to 38. What about the DMV versus Donald Trump? Oh, that's easy. Obviously, Trump's going to beat the DMV. No, a 10-point win for the DMV. Are you serious? Yeah, that's what this poll has found. People <laughs> polled by a, a legitimate polling agency Public policy prefer polling. the DMV <laughs> over Donald Trump? Yes. What about uh, root canals? What would you think the outcome between Donald Trump and a root canal? Well, and by the way, today is Happy Root Canal Day. Root Canal, root canal, root canal day. Appreciation Day. You be... uh, so I would. I'm going to go with a root canal. Root canals, forty nine to thirty eight. Oh, and finally, goodness. I think it's finally jury duty. Jury duty is, is oh, the last one. It's funny. a civic duty. It's a yeah. chance to change and serve your so country. Jury duty versus Donald Trump. I'm going with jury du- jury duty. Jury duty, fifty seven to thirty five. Wow. That's – he's going to win? Finally. The presidency? The final matchup. Yeah. This one, I think this will really decide it all. Trump versus head lice. <laughs> well, I, am, I will say Trump for sure. People would prefer Trump to having head lice. According to this poll. Yes. Head lice wins <gasps> 54 to 28. A blowout by head lice. Wow. 26-point win. That is crazy. Again, that's a legitimate poll. <sighs> Maybe. There comes a point where people are just mean and they're like, oh, I'd take head lice over Trump. You wouldn't. No one wants head lice. Well, I mean, but head lice, I guess, can be alleviated in a week. Right. Trump <laughs> Trump will last at least four years. And, then, and maybe nine or eight. Holy cow. And if he had his way, he'd go for 12. Wow, kids. That's kind of hard to overcome. I don't know how you try to convince people you're better than head lice. I don't know. Maybe he needs a new hairdo. Crazy stuff, folks. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about solving unsolvable problems. Do you have a problem in your life that you just can't figure out how to solve? We got the guy that wrote the book on it. It's not about the shark, how to solve unsolvable problems. We'll be talking about it up next. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, have you ever come across a problem that seemed to to have no solution? You just could not see a way out of the problem. You spent hours and hours worrying and straining to find a way to mend a relationship or to fix a reoccurring work issue. It's all you can think about 
We'll stop it. Our next guest, Dr. Um, David Niven, joins us. He is the author of the book, It's Not About the Shark, How to Solve Unsolvable Problems. And he's here today um, to talk to us about uh, what we might be doing wrong that is actually keeping us from solving the problem. Dr. David Niven, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you, Matt. Great to have you. Talk to us about, just first of all, the name of the book, It's Not About the Shark, How to Solve unsolvable problems. What do you mean by that title? That's pretty interesting. Well, the the name It's Not About the Shark comes straight from one of, I think, the, the very best examples of the difference between focusing on a problem and focusing on a solution. And this is, you know, in the midst of the making of the movie Jaws, which this is Steven Spielberg's first big chance. You know, he hasn't yeah. made all those movies that he becomes famous for. This is his shot with the big studios making a movie. And he spends literally the majority of his budget on the construction and design of a mechanical shark. I mean, this is his vision for how to sort of haunt, you know, the American imagination with this monster shark. And, and it's, it's literally, it's in the storyboards of the very first scene, the very first thing we're going to see is this monster shark coming out of the ocean and attacking. And here was the thing. The shark didn't work. Almost to a comical degree, it malfunctioned, broke down. I mean, even, even the skin of it, it was, it was you know, covered in this polyurethane that, that just puffed up like a giant marshmallow <laughs> instead of you know, looking like this you know, menacing, sleek shark skin. And so... The movie's already in production. The actor's there, the boat's there, the, everything's ready to go. And the shark every day is breaking down. And so he had this critical moment where if he had focused on the problem, my, my shark is broken. If he'd focused on the problem, he really would have been stuck because he'd already spent his budget. He was out of time. If he'd gone to the studio and said, I need a new shark, they probably would have shut the film down. But he didn't focus on the problem. What he thought, instead of, my shark's broken, how do I fix the shark? He thought, how do I make the best movie I can? And, and that's an entirely different question. And it, from that thought, he started thinking, what would Hitchcock do in this situation? And from that thought, he started thinking, do I really need a giant mechanical shark? What if I implied the shark? And you know those scenes where, you know, the, the camera's at the waterline and the, the, the music is playing and, and you feel that, you know, that, that intensity of, and you know what's going to happen and you don't actually see the shark. And so he changed the entire approach of the film from literally starting the film with a close-up of the shark to, for the most part, you don't see the shark. And, and most of the movie goes by, you don't see the shark at all. And he actually frightened people much more profoundly because he let us use our imagination and, and brought that into the movie. And when you, when you read the, the critical reviews today about what was so revolutionary about the film, they're largely focused on the fact that the shark isn't visible, <laughs> that, it's, that, it's, that it menaces us in our own minds. And that's really the essence of what my book is about. If he had focused on the problem, the, sh- the film would have been shut down. We yeah. never would have heard of Jaws, and we never would have heard of Steven Spielberg. He didn't focus on the fact that the shark was broken. He focused on what his actual 
you know, mission was, which was to create the best movie possible. And by that, he blew right past the problem into something better than he imagined. Yeah. I mean, like John Williams puts, what, two or three keys together to create mm-hmm. the, Jaws, the Jaws theme. And that may have been more impactful than the shark. Absolutely. I mean, you think about it. It's crazy. You, I mean, you remember those notes and yeah. you remember that feeling. And, and, and Spielberg put the camera literally half above and half below the water to give you that sense of what was coming. And that stays with us so much more than, you know, any, any like mechanical movie monster, you mm-hmm. know, often become, you know, kind of uh, fodder for being made fun of because they look so silly over time. But, you know, not the case with Jaws. It, it, it remains as, as a powerful model. Uh, today as it was then. And we do the same thing as humans, right? Every day trying to figure out how to solve our problem. We become preoccupied with the one problem instead of what, the 900 solutions? Well, that's right. That's, that's the idea here, that anything that you're facing in any aspect of your life, you can look at it problem first, in which case the problem can blot out your attention. I mean, if Spielberg had literally spent all his time on fixing the shark and getting in there with the wiring and everything, he never would have gotten out of there. Or you can focus on the solution. And part of what the book was inspired by was this study that took a a group of engineering students, put them in a room, and said, we want you to draw up plans for a bike rack, a bike rack to go on cars, make it, you know, make it as simple and easy as, as you possibly can for people. You be as creative as you can. We want a great bike rack. All right, go. And set them loose with paper and pencil and, and ask them to do the best they could. At the same time they did that, they had a second group of engineers, same setup, exact same question that they were you know, given, except when they told them about this bike rack situation, they said, here's where other people have run into problems in the design. Here's something that you're going to need to correct for. Now, in theory, this is the exact same task. You're both sitting down. You're, you're, you're trained for this. You're product designers. You're, you're creating a bike rack. But it works out that the group that was just told to design a bike rack was literally 17 times more likely to solve the problem that they didn't even know about than the group that was told, here's the problem you're going to have to solve. And it was all because the folks who knew what the problem was started from the the perspective of the problem. That was the thing that guided their entire process. The folks who didn't know what the problem was looked at this and said, what's the best way I could do it? And in thinking about that, they jumped over the problem without even knowing they were doing it. Wow. 17 times more effective just by having – by just starting with – the really just open-minded what let's right. let's have let's find solution to this issue cool right by starting with what was possible yeah the possible what was impossible and you know they came up with more designs they came up with better designs and they were you know they had the exact same training and it was really the exact same task except for that one thing about whether you started it by what was hard about this or what was possible about this so why do we do this uh i mean naturally why David, do I just get sucked into this need to be so problem-obsessed that I can't get into the possible? Well, I mean, there's certainly, you know, a kind of a biological imperative that we pay attention to danger and that we pay attention to threat. And, you know, it's a great survival instinct. And were we, you know, to live amongst, you know, saber-toothed tigers and the like, we better be problem-oriented because we're not yeah. focused on that problem. We're not going to have another day. But when you, when you progress thousands and thousands of years and still have that impulse, 
you know, it loses its benefit to us. And whether it's in your home life, in your work life, in any aspect of what you're doing, you're not being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. You know, it, it's time to, to think past that. And, you know, what we do when we're confronting a problem is, you know, we, we bear down and, and, and we really get inside the problem. And it, and it it tells us what we can do and what we can't do. It shuts off a lot of possible avenues for, for how we might proceed. And, you know, there's no aspect of our modern life where that, where that fits, where that's helpful to us. And so it's natural, but just because it's natural doesn't mean that, you know, we should keep doing it. Mm. And it also seems like some of our systems today incentivize finding problems. It almost gives us more power. If, I mean, just listen to the politicians today talking about all of the problems, um, almost fear-mongering, fear-baiting, and then people start to follow them. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it is it is a natural, you know, it is a natural phenomenon. But, you know, it's also, you know, of, of devastating consequence. I, you know, I write about in the book a lot of, of of studies that I think really can tell us a bit about how we live and how we could live better. And you know, I, I write about them so that anybody can understand them and anybody can use them. And one of the great examples uh, on this point. There's a study that it brought married couples in, and it literally all they were asked were like you know, generic questions. How did you meet? And you know, very pleasant kinds of questions. And the researchers weren't at all interested in the answers. They were interested in how the couples interacted with each other. Hmm. And what they found was, if one, you know, if the husband or the wife did anything negative, you know, kind of, you know, um, reacted with a negative face, you know, interrupted, you know, did anything negative at all in those conversations, the spouse was five times more likely to repeat that negative behavior than if one spouse did something positive in those interactions. You know, five times, we took five times more power out of the bad than the good. And hmm. I mean, that's, that's, problem-based thinking applied to modern life. You know, it's, it's natural. We're, you know, we're programmed to look out for what's wrong, but the, the pain of that is obvious. You know, the, there's, there's absolutely no upside of being five times more likely to mimic the bad than the good. And, right. you know, you can imagine the cost of that in a relationship if, you know, you, you have to be, you know, five times as nice as you, as you are uh, mean just to be equal. Exactly. And, you know, that's 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 a tough equation. That is a t- that is a very tough equation. Uh, let's continue this discussion after the break. We're speaking with Dr. David Niven, um, author of the book "It's Not About the Shark: How to Solve Unsolvable Problems." And uh, Dr. Niven, um, you can find him uh, at his website. Uh, I got to find it for you, Doctor. Where are you, Doctor? Oh, it, Dr. Niven, where is your website for crying out loud? It's just- DavidNiven.com. That's it. DavidNiven.com. Interesting book, isn't it? To, to figure out how you get unstuck and solve the, the what seemingly are the unsolvable issues. We're going to come back and talk about some more problems that might be gumming up your ability to solve basic issues. Um, and more than just the problem talk, we're going to get to some solutions for what you can do to get to those answers. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you love stronger and lead healthier lives. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Do you have any issues, problems you just can't solve? And maybe it might just simply be you can't see the problem because, or you can't see the solution because you're so into the problem. And a lot of times we might even get overwhelmed by the emotion, by the, by the energy, by the fear, by the need to fix this problem, that it might keep us from seeing other solutions. And so we are talking with Dr. David Niven, uh, who is a researcher and a writer. He's, he's an expert at taking some of the latest research and then being able to explain it in uh, easier terms. He's the author of the book, It's Not About the Shark, How to Solve Unsolvable Problems. And uh, he's been talking to us about simply the fact that if, if we can actually, um, when we get focused on the problem, like a shark, if you're Steven Spielberg, it may keep you from making a great movie um, because you get so consumed with the shark and the need for the Jaws shark to look real that uh, you might overlook everything else that goes on in the movie. And so when the, when the shark breaks down, maybe what you need to do is focus on everything else and do what you can with everything else, and uh, which is really turning problem solving upside down. And uh, that's one of the keys to his book is to show us how to do that. So, Dr. David Niven, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being with us. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Is it, um, is it true that when you're working, um, I mean, it seems like if I'm already kind of chemically charged and I start chasing a problem I've got to solve and my fight or flight is kind of kicking in, I might think I'm working really hard to fix it when really I might just actually be making it worse. Absolutely. And, and you know, again, this is part of where our natural inclinations can work against us. You know, anybody would say, what's the best you can do, you know, right now? up against whatever you're up against. And their answer is going to be, well, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to put in the hours. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, we, we just understand that at such a fundamental level, that that's the thing to do. And, you know, one of the examples I write about was um, the, the legendary college football coach, Urban Meyer, when he first came to national prominence at the University of Florida, you know, he was somebody who had been schooled his whole life in the sort of the essence of being a workaholic, mm-hmm. you know, even to the point when he was when he was in high school, and uh, he struck out once in a, in a high school baseball game, and 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 his father wouldn't give him a ride home from the game, told him to walk because <laughs> he thought Urban Meyer hadn't been trying hard enough. So I mean, this guy was raised yeah. to work hard, and so one of the the examples I write that I think is really instructive at the University of Florida, they had a a uh, tradition that if they had a, a winning football game, after the game, the players would gather for victory meal, and they would have this massive spread, and they would put up TVs in the rooms, so, and they'd watch a replay of their victory, and they would eat dinner together, and it, would, it was really this, this you know, bonding and celebratory experience. You know, what are we fighting for? You know, we're fighting for each other. We're fighting for the win, and it was, you know, it was this really positive connection that was built. And Coach Urban Meyer, over time, you know, he wins a national championship. He's, a, he's the king of the college football world. And the way he was programmed, he responded to that by working even harder. He spent even more time in the film room, even more time coming up with game plans to the point where he started skipping the victory meal. And he was doing it in service of hard work. Right. That was his ethic. And, and, of course, you work hard. That's how you solve, that's how you solve problems. And so eventually – 
after he had been skipping victory meal for a while, he happened to walk by the room after a victory, ducked his head in, and he noticed that that the victory meal was almost empty. There was almost nobody in there. And it used to be that everybody on the team and every assistant coach, everybody associated with the program, you know, would never dream of skipping it. So he goes in and he wonders where all the players are. And finally, one of the low-level assistant coaches says, you know, the, the players stopped coming when you stopped coming. Hmm. And, he, you know, he, he started to reexamine this idea that he might possibly be working hard against his own interests. Because, you know, he, his work ethic had actually gotten in the way of part of how he wanted to define his team and his program and, and what the sport was all about. And not too long after that, he wound up walking away from the game uh, exhausted and burnt out and, and unable to continue coaching. And one of the things that's interesting to me is he's back now, of course, as the coach of Ohio State. He's won a national championship there. And he talks about how his approach is fundamentally different and how he wasn't allowed to come back to coaching by his family unless he agreed to a set of rules that are principally about him not doing that again, not (laughs) overworking the problem to the point where he's actually working against his own interests. And, you know, part of what I'm doing in It's Not About the Shark is, is really letting folks know that, you know, when you're stymied by a problem, it's not that you are failing and, and, and that you, for some bizarre reason, have chosen the wrong approach, it's that you know, we naturally bump up against the problem and stare at it. And we naturally you know, throw everything we, we have at it, and it just so happens those are the worst things we can do <laughs> to actually solve something. And an and amazing story with uh, Urban there. He's, he's the best in the country. So mm-hmm. – I mean, it would almost be easy to presume and be confident in his mind that he was he was confidently doing what was right, even though it was actually not working for him. But he still felt confident about it until it caught up with him. Absolutely. And, and you know, he had, a, as I mentioned a moment ago, he had a rather unique upbringing where, you know, this was drummed into him, that effort, effort you know, exceeds the value of everything. And, and there's a, a great story about Urban Meyer's first sport was actually baseball, and he's, he was drafted into the Atlanta Braves system. He was a minor league baseball player right out of high school. He's, you know, he's 18 years old playing minor league baseball. And it works out that even though he was a, he was a great high school player, he he just can't hit in the minor leagues. You know, it's it's too advanced, and he's just not hitting. And and they try everything they can do. The Atlanta Braves do to to you know to help him through this. And he's just he's just it's too high a level for him. He can't make it. And he he's on the phone with his father after a game, and he says, I'm, "I I think I better quit because I'm I'm just not going to make it." And his father says to him, "Well, you can quit, but you'll never be welcome in my home again." <laughs> and then the father says. You can call home once every year on Christmas, but I won't answer the phone. <laughs> and, and, I mean, this this is the mentality. So of course, you know, he's going to approach his life. You know, this is what this is what he was brought up with. This is right. what he believed, and he didn't quit. He fought his way through, and until the Braves, of course, released him because he couldn't hit. But he never quit. He never walked away. And so, you know, n- most of us didn't grow up with with Urban Meyer's father, but we but we grew up in a culture that celebrates effort. Nobody nobody anywhere celebrates. Well, I tried seventy five percent. You know, nobody. You know, right. That's, that's not the culture. So, of course, we all adopt it as as what we're supposed to be doing. And sometimes we just want to. We feel like moving and being active, even if it's wrong, 
it's still better than standing there and not doing anything. Absolutely. You know, the, the frustration level of, of thinking that, you know, I'm, I'm not doing something is, is, is overwhelming. But, of course, you know, one of the things that, that just happens to be the case when you attack a problem with everything you have is, you know, you can quite easily make things worse. And, and <laughs> you know, reality requires us to, to try and come at this a different way. Isn't it also difficult? It seems like a lot of times when you're trying to solve a problem, you're not doing it alone. You have other people giving you advice and sometimes, you know, your need to please them or your need your belief that they know what they're talking about might lead you astray as well. Absolutely. And and it's one of the things that I write about that you know, if you're going to go at things solutions first instead of problems first, that you're going to have to accept the cost of that, which is the people around you are going to see problems first. And odds are the first thing they're going to say to your solution is, ah, uh, that can't work. Let me tell you why. And so, you know, one of the reasons why Spielberg made it through and made Jaws is he didn't ask permission. He didn't go to the studio and say, the shark is broken. Can I make the movie without the shark? He just kept making the movie. And I mean, that's part of how it happened. He didn't stop um, and let, let a committee say why this would never work. Um, you know, one of the, um, you know, one of the, the examples I write about in the book that, that, that fascinates me is a, a fellow by the name of Philip Schultz. He's a, uh, he's a decorated American poet. And as a child, he was profoundly dyslexic and he couldn't read. And, you know, his parents took him to all kinds of schools and all kinds of specialists and tutors, and they all threw up their hands and said, well, you can't read. And it works out that he never made it to reading until he got away from all those people who were telling them that he couldn't do it. And he actually, you know, somewhat ingeniously, um, out of desperation, kind of, kind of created in his own mind an alter ego. And, and he let the alter ego go about the task of trying to learn to read. And hmm. so instead of focusing on, oh, poor Philip Schultz who can't read and, and, you know, who everybody laughs at, you know, he created this alter ego and, and let the alter ego sit literally by himself and, and, and fight his way through and try and associate, you know, the things he was reading with the, the words he'd heard out loud. And, and he teaches himself to read and, and beyond that goes on to become, you know, a, a decorated poet. poet. And, you know, this is what, this is the essence of it. You know, you have to be willing to think about a solution and then you have to be willing to um, let the rest of the world catch up to you because you're going to be ahead of them. Right. That right. And and sometimes I guess you just have to find that confidence inside first and then, um, you know, then let everyone else in. Well, it helps, you know, I, I mentioned a lot of, of little studies that, it helps sometimes to step outside of yourself and, you know, look at things just from a different angle. Don't feel sort of trapped by the way you have always looked at something. And, and there's, there's lots of these, these little studies that have given people uh, different creativity tests and shows very clearly, you, you know, you want a creative idea today at work, you want to do something you've never done before, get out of your cubicle. Just physically get out of it. You know, when you're trying to come up with a solution, get out of the space you normally occupy. You'll be more creative because you're not surrounded by these physical limits. You know, you want to you come up with a solution today. Um, research clearly shows it helps to do some things out of order. 
So, you know, instead of putting the, the peanut butter on the sandwich first, put the jelly on. Instead of taking the exact same route to work, go, go you know, go the, the, take the left turn instead of always going right. You'll be more creative because you're not set in the standard set of responses and you're not set in that standard set of geography. That's pretty cool. I mean, and they're basic. That's what I love about what you do, David. You take just the research that we hear a million different studies and you combine them all together in one book, in one issue. You've done other books as well, 100 Simple Secrets to Happy People, 100 Simple Secrets of Successful People. The website is davidniven.com. David, thanks so much for being with us and teaching us. Matt, it was my pleasure. Great stuff. And let's start solving some problems, for heaven's sakes, folks. Be different and mix it up. And don't worry about the shark. That's such great advice. Focus on the other 100 things that would make the movie work, Steven Spielberg. I think he figured it out. Now he's solving problems all the time. Interesting stuff. Folks, let's take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back, wrapping up the second hour of the show, helping you live longer, love stronger. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Isn't that interesting? Um, solving the unsolvable problem. And if you think about it, it is, it's just all in your head. Really? It's just all in your head because you can't see the forest for the trees, right? There's just that problem right in front of you. Got to fix the shark. Got to fix the shark. Or uh, if my husband would just communicate better. Well, sure. But um, I found, even in my coaching work, it is so much easier to to focus on what works than what's broken. I've never seen a marriage be helped or healed or improved by simply recognizing our problem and talking about it ad nauseum. The more we talk about the problem, what I have found is it usually just reinforces the problem. It makes us more angry, more frustrated. However, every time you have a problem in a relationship, you probably have somewhere in the past where you didn't have the problem. Well, yeah, like when we were first married, sure. But we were clueless. We didn't have a clue. Great. So watch how weird this is. What did you do differently when you were first married that you no longer do today? Well, we used to – we never fought back then. Today we fight. We just immediately fight. Well, OK, OK, great, great that you went back to the problem. So what did you used to do when you – instead of fighting? Well, we would talk to each other. OK. Tell me more. What would the talk be like? How was your talking different back then? Well, we would just listen. Right. OK. And well, we wouldn't name call. OK. What else would you do? Well, we'd actually had other time to be together. We we didn't just talk for 10 minutes before going to bed. We used to have all all evening to talk. Okay, so you made time. You spent time with each other. What else did you do? Well, we kissed more. That's for sure. <laughs> so you kissed more. What does kissing have to do with fighting? Oh, a lot, believe me. Very few people that are kissing are fighting. It's hard to kiss and fight. 
So notice the point is not that you should kiss, but you totally should. But the point is a little different. The point is simply if you want to have a, a solution to your fighting problem, you might want to go back to where you didn't do it because there's a lot of things you used to do that may have prohibited the fighting. And I'm going to bet if you introduce some of those back into your life, you might actually start solving the problem like spend time together. How about that? Um, how about doing more fun things together? Back in the day when you were first dating and first married, you didn't bring up every problem all day, every day, all the time. Well, we hardly had any problems, right? But you also talked about positive things. You probably told your partner what they did well. You focused on good stuff too. You didn't just focus on the negative. All of these are solutions. And when I work with couples, there are a 100 solutions to every problem they bring up. But we get so obsessed with the problem, we never get to these other ideas. And by the way, I can go backwards to my past to find them. I can find them today. What's working today? Because you may not have fought today. So what did you do today that worked better? And you could look to the future. What would it look like if we fixed it and a magic fairy brought down a unicorn and carried you to a way to heaven? The solutions are there. Or you can just go to the problems. Don't chase the shark, for heaven's sakes. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Hour number three coming up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. I'm here for you to walk you through life's daily troubles. So far, we've talked about the Panama Papers, and we have also uh, talked about how to solve problems. If you need help solving your problems and you missed last hour, you're going to want to go to iTunes or tune in or download the BYU Radio app for iOS or for Android, and by golly, go get the Matt Townsend Show because I'm telling you, pound for pound, more information on this show that's valuable to you than any other show. Even some information you never thought you'd need to know. That's what we do on the show because we care. Uh, we got a great program today. Andrew Reiner will be joining us. He's a he's an art he's a uh, a writer for the New York Times and wrote an article that just has fascinated me about uh, men and our emotions. Are men supposed to have emotions? Are they supposed to cry? Are they supposed to have feelings? Of course they are. Duh. Did you know that as a child, baby boys show and manifest more emotion than baby girls do? And yet somewhere, we've somehow been told that you're not a man if you show emotion, like soft emotions, like crying, vulnerability. So we're going to be talking with him about his article, Teaching Men to be Emotionally Honest. And uh, this whole idea of sharing your shame, sharing where you're vulnerable, putting it out there. And honestly, I'm a personal believer that it would eliminate a lot of the tension and anger that we see in this world. So does that mean that we're, that men are more emotionally sensitive than women, but we've 
been taught to suppress it? I'm going to go with yes, just because Caitlin's in the room. <laughs> it's going to tick her off. But um, I don't know if they're more sensitive, but they are sensitive is the thing. We tend to think that they're not, that they're just machines. Not true. So we'll be talking about how a guy can learn to be more emotionally honest with himself and share his feelings more with those around him. Pretty cool idea and uh, probably long, long, long overdue. So we'll get to that in just a few minutes. Plus, we'll also be visiting our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. And let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on around the world? Well, Matt, despite recent tensions, Donald Trump says he still wants House Speaker Paul Ryan to remain chairman of the Republican National Convention this summer. Political reports, I'd love, frankly, for him to stay and be chairman, Trump said in an interview with Fox's Bill O'Reilly Tuesday night. Ryan had offered Monday to step down as chairman of the convention if Trump asked due to ill feelings that arose last week after he refused to endorse Trump. But Trump and the speaker, Ryan, are set to meet Thursday to talk things out. An underwater training course for Navy SEALs that is called Legendarily Difficult proved fatal Friday for one student at a California naval station. James Derek Loveless, 21, who had just joined the Navy six months ago and completed basic training in January, was wrapping up the last day of his first week of training in basic underwater demolition SEAL training. When class instructors noticed he was having issues and took him out of the pool, he lost consciousness and couldn't be revived at the scene. He was pronounced dead at a local hospital. The cause of Loveless's death is still being investigated. A fugitive mom is still on the run as Ohio authorities released video showing her allegedly leading police on a wild chase in a minivan with her child in tow. Authorities in Springdale, Ohio, say Erica Barrario Rapp, 33, is wanted on several felony warrants in Kentucky, including alleged concealed weapons violations and drug use. Police said the chase snapped a mile and a half and was caught on dashboard cameras as Barrario Rapp tried to elude them by allegedly speeding the wrong way against traffic, running through red lights, nearly colliding with a school bus, and barreling over a concrete barrier on a highway. Police said they terminated the chase after confirming a child was in the vehicle. And last, Kirk Alexander had ordered has ordered from Domino's Pizza in Salem, Oregon, nearly every day for seven years. Now his Domino's family is being credited with saving his life. A few of the employees began to notice that they hadn't taken his order for several days, and so the manager looked up his history on the computer. They noticed that he hadn't ordered in precisely 11 days, which wasn't like him, so they sent a driver to go check on him. When the driver arrived, he saw lights and heard the TV, but nobody answered the door. He called 911, and authorities found Alexander on the floor having suffered a stroke. He was taken to the hospital where he was listed in stable condition on Monday Officers say that the Domino's driver likely saved Alexander's life. Holy cow! So there you go. What is that? Is the second pizza story we've done today? One You're pizza, right. one pizza delivery guy caught a mafia bomb, uh, Don, and then this Domino's pizza guy saves a life. Yeah, they're calling themselves the Alexander Domino family. <laughs> that is cool. So there you have it. Those See, are happy news. Some headlines. guy just working for an extra buck, beating down his car. For Domino's Pizza. Saves a life. Saves a life. Excellent. There you go. Back and to you. you thought your job was hard, Caitlin. <laughs> Good to have you. Caitlin, well done. Well done. Way to bring the news. And to do it in with such style and class. Well done. We um, have got a lot to talk about. Uh, first things first, of course, just last night, you may have uh, you know not heard all of the news, but Donald Trump won the primaries in New Hampshire and Nebraska, I mean handsomely, and as did Bernard Sanders. 
Bernie Sanders also won in um, West Virginia, 51 to 36 percent. Remember, West Virginia is where Hillary Clinton ticked off a lot of people because there are coal miners there and she basically made a comment a while ago that she's going to put a lot of coal miners out of business. And so they're kind of mad about that. Also, Bernie Sanders won um, handsomely in Nebraska, 57 percent to 49 percent. So again, somebody has not <laughs> informed uh, Bernard Sanders that this thing's over. Wait, so he won 57 to 49? No. Okay. He won in Nebraska primary. He won 57.1 to 42.9. Okay. Yeah. Good math, though. I Well, that's what I thought I heard. No, so. that's right. It's... I mean, it's it's the same math that Bernie keeps using to say that he's in the race. And for the most part at this point, it's over, right? Well, I mean, again, I think everybody you hear on the radio or any of the talking heads or anything, they're, they're always saying he's Bernie's n- not going to win this. Hillary Clinton right. is going to be the nominee, except that has that has to be that has to happen, has to happen. Yeah, she still has needs one hundred and sixty six yeah. or some odd uh, what de- delegates. So, I mean, she hasn't right. clinched yet, so right. he's going to stay in till the right. end. And he's he might run the table for a little while here. Maybe he just took two. They're in Oregon, I believe, next Tuesday, and that's a heavy Bernie supported supportership. Mm-hmm. I guess you could make a word up there. And then the super delegates can switch any time, can't they? Yeah. And that's what they said they're going to go after is the super delegates now. So. They won't have a prayer on those. Well, we'll see. Those have, those, As he says, they've been paid off for years. <laughs> they've been paid off for years. I mean, not that sounded bad, but could they've be been true. in the pocket. No, hold on. They are really they're on the inner circle. Oh, no, that sounds weird. It all sounds bad. It's politics. It's political. It's political. Couple updates for you. Yes, Bodie McBoatface. Yes, scientists say that the contest. Uh-huh. Now, if you remember, Bodie McBoatface, they had this ship in Britain. It's going to go explore the great northern reaches of our world and do scientific experiments. And they were going to wanted a name for it. They threw it up online and the, like the Ministry of Don't Science say or whatever. Threw it up. Yeah, it sounds bad. They posted online a contest. Here's a bunch of names. Pick yeah. one. And somebody decided to hijack it with the name Bodie McBoatface. That took off. That ended up winning. The Minister of Science decided, no, we're not going to call it that because that's ridiculous. They're going to name some like, exploratory sub that's attached to the boat that. So that's yeah. that's where we stand boring, with the boring. story. But people have looked at this whole situation of getting online and voting, and they find that the whole voting process itself is a major success. Oh, really? So now they're spinning it. Yes. That's how I took it. Well, but they, they also tried because it was named after Sir who? David Attenborough. Sir David Attenborough. So then they came back and said, we need to change Sir David Attenborough's name to Bodie McBoatface. Right. And now the whole spin is that was a success. So the, uh, it says here, the committee is, a committee is studying the science, uh, studying science communication, wanted to know whether the research council considered the contest a success or as a committee chairwoman put it, would uh, staff had to walk the plank? I guess. Yeah. They saw it as a failure when these uh, this this these communication study people are like, no, this is real. It says 
Uh, Chief Chief, uh, Executive Counsel Duncan Wingham says that uh, far from being an embarrassment, the contest was an astonishingly great outcome for us. In addition, it has put a smile on everybody's face. Hmm. Although Bodie McBoatface is the tagline that took the story around the world, we can see evidence time and time again of people reading about the boat, reading about the science, and learning more about the work that we do. Oh, see, so it was promotional. That was a, that was an excellent thing. Now all these people are wondering, well, what's this boat going to do? Because they're trying to figure, is this name worthy? And people right. just wanted to call it Bodie McBoatface. By the way, uh, I love the fact that we're playing Steamboat Willie right now. It fits. Not Bodie McBoatface, but Steamboat Willie. The other story. That yes. I, that we Bodie need to Ma- update. Bodie McBoatface, great story. Just has legs like crazy. It just keeps, never dies. It's a story that keeps on giving. Somebody Another one kill it. is Cliven Bundy Ugh. and his followers that took over that uh, animal refuge up in Oregon. They're all in jail, but it has not stopped the legal wranglings that are happening okay. that are quite humorous to Let's me. Let's wrangle. Uh, Gawker posted yesterday about this, calling it completely bonkers. This lawsuit against President Obama, Senator Harry Reid, Harry Reid's son. And a federal judge that Cliven Bundy has okay. has sued them all. According to the Las Vegas Review Journal, the seven year old Bundy is seeking more than fifty million in damages and is his prompt release from custody for various alleged violations of his constitutional rights. The lawsuit filed Tuesday claims Reed Senator Reed used federal stormtroopers against Bundy and his peaceful cowboys during a 2014 standoff in Nevada over grazing fees. Not these stormtroopers. Federal stormtroopers. Okay, those are different? Right. Okay. Not the Federation. Not the, well, the Federation is Star Trek. Oh. Imperial is Star Wars. Nerd alert! Yeah, just trying to get our terms straight here. Okay. You know, facts, facts. Joel Hansen, Bundy's attorney, says, well, that's the funny, it's, it's the federal stormtroopers against Bundy and his peaceful cowboys. <laughs> You forgot that part. Peaceful cowboys. Wow. Uh, the lawyer for Bundy, Joel Hansen, says his client's prosecution is a clear misuse of power by Obama and Reed. He hasn't agreed with the politics of the day. Hansen tells the Review Journal he said some things are politically incorrect and should be left that way. The lawsuit also claims that Senator Reed and President Obama have been u- insulting Bundy publicly, specifically pointing to some jokes that Obama made at the 2014 White House Correspondents' Dinner in order to take his ranch from him in a, quote, under-the-table negotiated deal. Obama and Reed would then sell Bundy's ranch to, quote, communist Chinese for, quote, profit and or kickbacks, according to the lawsuit. Wow. Yeah, it gets really detailed here. Gawker points out that the lawsuit also includes a number of debunked conspiracy theories regarding Senator Reed's family. In discussing the lawsuit Bundy's and Bundy's plight, his lawyer compared his client to Nelson Mandela. Wow. Because he's in jail and he's been persecuted by the government. Uh, a federal prosecutor has called Bundy's claims offensive, outrageous. Reed's office, Senator Reed's office, prefers the terms baseless and absurd when talking about this. Hmm. So from this, we get wow. the terms federal stormtroopers, peaceful cowboys, yeah, which is good. And also a plot to sell a ranch in Nevada to, quote, communist Chinese. Wow. Good news. It's good news. That was great. <laughs> that was a great story. Peaceful cowboys. Let, let me tell you the kind of story I like to listen okay. to. Okay. Uh, Cincinnati police <laughs> are responding to an unusual distress call on Monday from Mother Goose. The Mother Goose? The Mother Goose. Wow. The bird was pecking on the door 
of a police cruiser. And her whole family. In an apparent bid for some attention. Okay. It kept pecking and pecking. And normally, you know, they don't come near us, Sergeant James Givens said. And we usually tase these things. Right. Just tase them. Tase it. I'm a little worried. Here's what happened. Hmm. That bird kept pecking on the door. Then it would walk away, and then it stopped, and it looked back like, are you coming? And then I followed it, and it led me right over to a gosling, no relation to the actor, Hmm. that was tangled up in a string. Oh, wow. So the mom wanted help. The baby bird was caught in a string from a balloon. Hmm. Givens and a specialist, Cecilia Sharon, said – um, she was from the SPCA, came in for backup, and uh, they took care of the, the gosling. Oh, wow. And bada boom, bada bing, Mother Goose started honking again. It was all good. Off they went. I thought this was going to turn a completely different way. No. I thought the, the officer was being attacked. No. Attacked by Mother Goose. No, the officer. The, the, We've had stories about turkeys attacking oh, sure. postal workers. Alligators. There's a story about an alligator who walked up to a house and then crawled up the side of the house and rang the door doorbell. Are you serious? Yeah, there's a video of it. It's, it's really kind of creepy. Alligators in people's pools. Holy a lot of alligators in, in Florida, apparently. Snakes. Well, and they're evolving. Gila monsters. Because now they can ring a doorbell. They're ringing doorbells. Wait till you see one driving. You know how hard it is to drive as an alligator? They can't even bend their neck that yeah, There's a lot of tail to get in the door. Before. You don't want to <laughs> slam the, the door no. on your tail, so no. that'd be dangerous. Yeah, Mother Goose. Mother Goose saved her little gosling. That's cute. See? Folks, there's good in the world. There's good in the world. What else do you need? We're going to take a break. When we come back, we, are, we will be talking with Andrew Reiner about men and their masculinity. Is it okay to be an emotional male? I mean, aren't we in the day and age where a man could cry and can share his feelings openly, or do we just have to man up? Stick with us, folks. We're going to be talking about that and uh, how to how to kind of let it go, let your feelings actually go, and be a real person. We'll talk about it. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, you've all heard the phrase, be a man or man up. Have you ever felt like uh, sometimes, you know, that might be yelled out to one of your kids if he got hurt on the sports field or, you know, our very own producer Terry once cried watching a Kleenex commercial about a, a nurse and a newborn baby. And all of the producers started yelling, man up! But shouldn't a guy be able to cry over a Kleenex commercial without it turning into a big deal? I mean, really, it's a a big deal. And I wonder if we're not stifling our kids and not allowing them to be vulnerable. And then later on in our marriages, we try to get the husband to be more vulnerable and share his feelings more. But we may have just kind of taught our boys that they shouldn't have emotions. And so when I saw this article by Andrew Reiner from the New York Times, um, he, it suggests that society's definition of masculinity actually 
may be damaging men's relationships and performance later in life. And I wanted to bring him on to help talk to us about uh, how we as men can be a more emotionally honest and and how our view of masculinity might be impacting us. Andrew Reiner, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Matt. You bet. This is a cool article, and because I see it every day with the couples I work with where a lot of guys just don't open up. They don't, they don't feel like they can be vulnerable. Talk to us about what you see you know, um, is happening with society's definition of masculinity. You know, it's, it's actually really interesting what's going on right now. Um, <clears throat> you know, we really, for so long, um, I, I feel like what happened was really kind of like back in the 70s, <clears throat> you know, there was kind of this paradigm of, of younger baby boomers, you know, and there was, there was kind of more of an, an opening in terms of men um, kind of getting in touch with, for lack of a better phrase, what was considered their feminine side. Um, we really moved away from that, and <clears throat> I feel like we, excuse me, um, we're, we're kind of in a place now where that we're kind of operating from, like so much of our political discussions, from kind of polarities and extremes. Hmm. And um, I feel like we're still we're kind of retrenching and going back to um, a lot of... Uh, I feel like we're going back to a, a lot of old ways of, of thinking about how boys and men should be um, as as some of these kind of, you know, the gender discussion is shifting a little bit in terms of gender identity. And I feel like what's happening is that some, some you know, some folks are are really kind of hunkering down into what they've always known and, and, and saying, like, you know, this is what a man should be. Right. And then on the other, then on the other hand, we're starting to see... Um, commercials on TV for, <clears throat> like, Axe and, and some of these um, deodorants aimed at, at younger men, and they're starting to kind, of, to, to kind of push against that in terms of, you know, young men um, showing more kind of emotional vulnerability. Hmm. So we're really, in, we're really in an interesting place right now, and <clears throat> excuse me, the, um, the discussion is, is really starting to heat up. And thank heavens, right? Because I just – I had a perfect example of this yesterday, Andrew. So my boys were playing in our yard, actually our neighbor's yard, and there was about five or six of the boys playing ball and everyone was kind of talking smack, I guess. I wasn't there and I'm sticking to that story. And eventually <laughs> one of the boys got his feelings hurt. And he, by the way, which happens probably – thousands of times a day in you know backyards and he he left and he went home and then um the mom i guess called one of the dads uh at the house they were playing at then the dad w- and, and heard that that they had been making fun of the boy and then the dad a really loving gentle man went out talked to the boys they all felt bad Asked them if they wanted to go over and apologize. They drove in the car. All the boys went over and apologized. And my son came home. And I'm sitting there thinking, would I ever have done that? And would we have ever even expected someone, a boy, to apologize back in my day like that? We would just say, let the boys handle it. Let the, you know, go. Next time that guy makes fun of you, you punch him in the face. But it's a different, it's a different age. And these kids are, and my son, I said, how did that feel? He goes, it felt really good. That wow. that was good. Wow! And I'm I'm th- all yeah. this, and I'm thinking of this show today. And I'm thinking, yeah, times are changing, and but we need to make it maybe easier to be adapting. 
Well, yeah, we, we do. And, you know, it's what's so interesting right now is that um, there's, you know, it's, it's well, there, I mean, there's obviously a few things at play here, but one of the things in terms of adapting um, is that, you know, it's not just guys. <clears throat> um, you know, we like to think that, oh, you know, the women, women in our lives are, are operating from a different script and, you know, they, they really want us to, to be much more emotionally vulnerable and open. And, and sometimes they do, but there are a lot of women, very, very well-intentioned, well-meaning, loving women who unwittingly kind of help perpetuate the script um, as well. And it, and they don't mean it in any, it's never, you know, done in a, in a, in a, a mean spirited, um, or, 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 you know, or, or untoward way at all. But it's just that it's so ingrained in us, mm. the expectation. And um, <clears throat> I was, um, you know, I, I often have seen and been in places where, you know, at, at games, um, you know, for recreation, athletics. And, you know, I hear the moms as much as the dads, you know, you know encouraging not just, you know, the boys, <clears throat> you know, but the girls as well to, to really kind of tough it out and to get up and, you know, stop acting like a baby and did it. And, and there really is kind of a, um, there, there really is as we become, it seems like as we become with this economy more and more competitive on many levels and, you know, Americans have always been this way anyway, but it seems like a lot of this is trickling down um, into a lot of other areas that, that I don't think it was as intense before. And there's just much more of a hyper-competition in so many facets of our kids' lives. And, and that doesn't encourage, you know, really kind of a, an emotional honesty. Right. And, and, and a compassion and an empathy. <clears throat> and, um, and so this is part of the script that, that unwittingly, you know, a lot of girls and young women and women um, are part of. And, and so I think that, sometimes they feel and, and give, you know, at times mixed messages in terms of what their expectations are as well. And again, I don't think they're doing it deliberately. I think it's extremely unintentional and very well-intentioned, but I think there's a lot of confusion. And I'll give an example of what I mean. Yeah. Um, so in this course that I wrote about in the New York Times that I teach at, 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 <clears throat> at Towson University in Baltimore, um, it's, a mas- it's, a, it's a masculinity course called Real Men Smile, The Changing Face of Masculinity. Hmm. And um, about every semester so far, about three-quarters of the, of the class has been young women, and far more women than men. And what's been really interesting is that um, pretty much semester in, semester out, when we have discussions with the class, and especially with the young women, about what their expectations are, for guys that they might get romantically involved with, um, there's there's often there's, there's there's often a bit of um, a kind of paradox at play where where sometimes they'll say things along the lines of, well, you know, I want them, I want you know the guys I'm involved with to be there for me. I want them to understand what I'm feeling and 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 why I'm feeling it. I want them to you know to understand these things. And, and I want them to be, you know, a little bit more open with me. 
And then, and this has happened quite out of quite a few semesters when we've kind of pushed a little further, and and I've said, well, okay, so, you know, what what happens when they start to kind of open up a little bit more, and and what does it look like, and uh, you know, how does it feel to you when when you see a guy doing that? And so when we get to the discussion about things like crime, which is taking it a step further, a lot of them have said, well, you know, and I don't, I don't, I, frankly, it really gets, makes me uncomfortable when it, <laughs> if if, if, a, if my, a guy cries with me, and yeah. and I don't want them to be too emotionally clingy. And and one of the things that was so heartening to me was that one semester when this conversation that often occurs was going on, um, one of the young men. Who, who had this incredible ability to sum things up so concisely, said, you should hear yourself. He said, you can't have it both ways. You can't, you can't expect a guy who, who really has not been in our culture encouraged to really kind of open up and share things he's feeling other than anger. You can't expect him to kind of have that breakthrough and get to that point where he feels safe enough to share it with you and then you say, well, this is acceptable, and this part's acceptable, but this... It's like, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's like you can't have it both ways. It's, it's, it's like you're asking for two different things, and it's really, really confusing for guys. Oh, that's, that's great. And, I mean, yeah. that's true. And it's... I, I, somewhere there's research, I don't know if you've heard about it, that uh, women are always saying they want men to open up, and then when they do, like, like tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you're thinking. And then when they tell him what they think, it's, well, I'm thinking I just want to hug on you. And she's like, oh, is that all you think about? Or um, yeah. or it's like, uh, well, I'm, I'm afraid I might lose my job. And they, they talk about what they're really worried about. And a lot of times the, the ladies didn't want to hear that either. So you're right. I think there there's something to this. Why? What do you sense? And because, I mean, this class, what a great idea to at least open up the discussion and the dialogue you apparently you have a survival kit of many middle class white male college students today. Yeah, um, it's. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Could you could you restate that? I'm not yeah. sure I understood what you're asking. Well, I thought I thought somewhere in your writing you had a, an art about the survival kit of kind of the middle class oh. white male. Okay. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, really, it's um, you know what what we're talking about here is. You know, a lot of that, that survival kit that I called it is really, you know, a lot of the kind of standbys for a lot of young men in terms of um, the way that they embrace this kind of new thing called, you know, like masculinity for them. And I don't, when I say new, I mean manhood. That's really right. I guess what I'm talking about. I shouldn't call it masculine. Um, you know, and, and, and really when they start getting into high school and especially college, that survival kit is... Um, the biggest standby is video games, and then they, you know, a lot of them will will often, you know, get into binge drinking, <clears throat> online porn, um, and um, and those are really kind of those are really kind of the main things um, to cope, right? To cope, I guess, with their with their their inability to share their emotion. It is, it is, and and what's beneath a lot of it, really. Um, you know, we were having this discussion last night in the class um, about how when you look, talk about something like online porn, where it's, it's really a safety net. It's, it's a way of, you know, engaging with this kind of burgeoning sexuality of yours in a way that feels much safer where you are not dealing with rejection mm. and then the follow-up of humiliation from that. And, and really what we're talking about here, and, and I think this is true 
I've noticed this from, from teaching different seminars um, that really what, what's happening here, I think that I think it's always been a problem for men, but I think that I think what's really changing is that the stakes are getting higher as, as um, and this is, I think, a lot is happening at a lot of different levels, but I think the stakes are getting higher for young men, for boys and young men, because there's the ability to fall through the cracks more mm. quickly and more deeply than I think in the past. Yeah, yeah. And, and so we're, you know, we're seeing this at a lot of levels. <clears throat> um, and not to deal with people, right? I mean, if you're dealing with pornography, you're not dealing with a real human and interaction and change and and instead you're avoiding it. i mean so it it does it almost sets it sets us back it does it does and and you know this gets into a whole other seminar i teach called the search for intimacy in the age of yeah. um but but it's true for young women too it just you know it doesn't always manifest itself that way hmm. i do want to say i do want to say parenthetically that there's some really some really interesting studies that have been coming out that that the percentage of young women who also watch online porn has been rising right um as well um but it really does speak to this kind of fragility, this kind of, um, you know, this kind of emotional fragility that we, you know, as we get more and more disconnected from face-to-face interaction, um, it just gets harder and harder to want to, to open ourselves up, to expose ourselves to, um, to rejection. What and, can we do, Andrew? I mean, we've got about two or three minutes, and I, I worry, what can I do? Uh, I mean, I know you have a class. I think that's... I think that's awesome. And um, but how do we just? What should we be teaching our boys about their masculinity and about their ability to feel and to be vulnerable? You know, I think that um, it's you know it's it's clearly it's an uphill battle. But I think that you know it it, it has to absolutely positively. Um, there's there's no silver bullet, but it has to absolutely positively begin. I do believe with parents, and that's no easy thing. No. Because a lot of, I've had, you know, I've written pieces and I had moms reach out to me saying, you know, my son cries and, and, and I'm a single parent and I'm really uncomfortable with it and I don't know what to do. You know, it's, it's got to come. It's, you know, clearly it's, it's coming from both sexes and, and mostly men, absolutely, but it also comes from women sometimes too. And I think that, you know, we've got to learn for the sake of our sons to, to really kind of to dig a little bit deeper, even though it's going to be uncomfortable and to start to kind of engage them about new ways of looking at how they, how they deal with their emotions. Because the one thing that we've always made it safe to do is to express anger for boys and men. Mm-hmm. But what we've got to do is find ways for them to learn to feel more comfortable processing and feeling and understanding these other emotions that we often, that we often limit them to, you know, limit them from having and feeling. Oh, and I, I think it that. really needs to. St- I sure. really think it needs to start with just feeling, and processing, understanding other emotions they're feeling. I mean, almost like we do our daughters in a way, um, more where we, uh, you know, we might allow them, or we, we. I mean, I, we we would want everyone to be able to do it. It's, but it's almost like like you're saying, it's more inherent that the girl would want to do that. But you're saying express and get them to process and show and, and kind of go through the different emotions with them. And, and I guess validate them. Let them have that emotion. Yeah, boys. You know, you know, boys. Boys act out physically. You know, because you know, and 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 often in sometimes destructive ways because they don't understand the feelings they have and they're afraid of them on a very deep level. 
because they don't understand the, these other feelings they have. And the one, the one way that's acceptable for them to act on emotions that scare them or frustrate them is, is in, in more physical and sometimes, mm. you know, physically destructive ways. And we expect that. Yeah. And, and we've got to, you know, we've got to engage them at a young age to, to get them to recognize other feelings they're having, not to swallow them down, and, and to really kind of engage them and say, what is it you're feeling? And yeah. so what, what, where, what do you, where do you think is, what do you think is causing this? What, you know, what are we going to do with this feeling? Because yeah. we have to get them to, to, to basically accept it as a part of who they are. Yeah. I love it. And the, you're starting the dialogue here as well, Andrew. So I appreciate that. Um, Again, I appreciate your work. And everybody, go to the NewYorkTimes.com, look up Andrew Reiner, and you can get all of his other articles and and see the deeper discussion. Andrew, thank you so much. Such a wonderful, uh, serious push. And we need it, folks. Take your kids and set them down and talk. Or your grandkids, if uh, if you're beyond you know, the child-rearing years. But get down to those grandkids and let them share their feelings and help those boys understand their emotions. Masculinity is not about stuffing emotion. I mean, we might be able to do it. We might even be adept at it. Doesn't mean it's healthy for us always. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Take a walk with me, folks. Down the streets of Mayberry. Take left on Maple. And right on Elm. And there you'll be at BYU Sports Nation's Studio B with our good buddies Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. What's up? Hello, Matthew. How are you? Just walking through Mayberry. Just feel like fishing today. <laughs> Let's go down to the pond. Uh, I don't know, Andy. <laughs> Barney? Oh, where's Velma when you need her? Hey, um, is Velma on that show? Velma? Velma's on. Um, I have no idea. I thought that was. I thought that was Barney's girlfriend. We'll look that up. I, Maybe, actually, I just remember Ron Howard. I've oh. never, Opie. I've never really watched the show. You haven't? No. Where have Where's you been? Parties? You know Ron Howard is on that show, right? I'm well aware. Well, you're such a movie guy, so that surprises me that you this haven't seen. This isn't a movie. Seen... It's a TV show. Hey, Spence. Andy Griffith. Yes. You're back. The I'm show back, was dude. before I was born. I'm back, bro. Where'd you go? I went to Las Vegas. Well, ah. actually to the thriving metropolis of Bullhead City, Arizona, which is just on the outskirts of Las Vegas. Wow. I drove through that town again that we talked about yes. a few weeks back. Cal Did you Navari. buy it? Yeah, is the sign still up the for one sale? The on sale for $10 million bucks. Buy it. Buy My it. My brother-in-law, who is... The dentist. Doing very well for himself. Yeah. Uh, jokingly, was like, I'm going to buy that town and put a landing strip there and, like, uh, let planes fly in and out, and I'm going to make a ton of money. <laughs> he will own that town. That is so cool. Um, what were you doing there? Just getting free dental work again? or? Yep. Good. Well, not free. Utilizing my insurance that Brigham Young University so <laughs> That's generously true. provides. Then why do you go there? 
Um, use it here because he does free stuff for me on top of what my insurance so you can did provide. Use free because so it's his, not free his, per yeah. se. It's just it's I cheaper. maximize it's my called, insurance. It's cheaper by his, utilizing the family connection. His brother-in-law has smaller hands, so the insurance has nothing to do with the free part, right? You're just going because your bro-in-law hooks you up, baby. Yeah. Yes, but he still gets paid. He still makes money off of me. It's a trap, but not from you. Correct. From Brigham. Correct. Yeah. Oh, From come on! our provider, yes. Well, that was boring. From DMBA, <laughs> the insurance provider. This message brought to you by DMBA. <laughs> Fixing teeth. And boy, are we great. Fixing hey. teeth for 115 <laughs> Since years. Since 1847. <laughs> We've packed more gold in teeth than anybody else. <laughs> hey, um, talk to me about the Spurs. I think they might be out of here. Oh, They've got to win in Oklahoma so City fast, in game friend. six. Three, two. If there's a team that can win on the road in Game Six, it's the San Antonio Spurs. It's Greg Popovich. Yes. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. You don't count on Greg Popovich. No. It would. It would be, you know, quite the shock if they didn't. If the Spurs didn't make the Western. I know, okay. but that would be really nice for the Warriors. My Here, favorite team right here's now. Here's the thing, though. Be honest. Would you be more excited about watching? Anybody Oklahoma, but the Spurs. Oklahoma City <laughs> and Golden State play in the Western Conference no. Finals. Spurs, Golden State, or that would the be killer. Spurs, yes. Spurs are they're just kind of boring though. They're, no, they're not kind of. They're absolutely boring. But that's, who's the more exciting but, but team to watch? Boring teams win titles, generally speaking. Yes. Alabama football hands the ball off. Nothing more boring than Alabama football. Like huddles up some t- somebody in Tuscaloosa you know I mean? is going to call and totally. make go a ahead, death row at Townsend right now. That's uh, call Jerem Jordan one eight hundred eight five five. They can we they can cry themselves to sleep with championships. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Like the, what the Spurs have done has been against the grain, which generally is a pretty good idea. The most innovative and creative people of all time went against the grain in some way, right? Hey, speaking of grain and going against the grain. Uh, did you guys hear that there is a new um, MIT and Harvard have come out with a new skincare product that will eliminate your wrinkles? What is it? I don't know. You just rub is it, it on your rest and nutrition. No, nope, nope. no. It's it's made of silicon and oxygen. Okay. And you rub it on your face and bada boom, bada bing. It sucks all the wrinkles up. And the side effects are well. The side effects ten you can't, minutes. You can't talk. That we don't. Have you have to text all the time. Yeah. Exactly. But no, it lasts. It's actually it works incredibly well. Uh, there are no um, there are no side effects apparently, except you have there to apply no it effects. every day. There are no side effects. Grade mm-hmm. A baloney. Grade A baloney. One eye will droop, but other than that, you'll be fine. You will die ten years earlier than you would have. But, but who cares? You'll look great. But the time spent leading up to that time will be amazing. Um, this this is a day, May eleventh, uh, that I think was meant for you, Spencer. It is Root Canal Appreciation Day. Hey. It's also Eat What You Want Day. Apparently, every one day, day causes the other day. In the United States. I was having a crown put on that root canal. See? I knew that's why you were there. That's I why we're celebrating. Get, that I had day. to go get it seated. You have a kingly mm. mouth. Did did it seat? It, it, my brother-in-law is a fabulous dentist. He seated it with elite precision. He he done seated that thing with elite precision. Like Johnny Appleseed, they done seated the West. Landed in the desert and had my done tooth done seated. <laughs> the one tooth. Seated. <laughs> my one tooth. One tooth seated. <laughs> Talk to me um, about your show. You guys are still putting that thing on now, huh? Absolutely. Hold on. How many how many shows have you done now? Seven hundred and thirteen. Today, today is seven hundred and thirteen. 
You know what is amazing about you guys? You actually count. Every day. We don't count our shows. Well, you, and you do three hours. Too. Yeah. You, you've got two extra hours. To fill. A lot of people actually say our shows don't count. Oh, come on. That's the, that's the word around don't town. Let, don't let Don Shalon get you down. That's Don. <laughs> that's Don when he gets all over my grill. Your show doesn't count. <sighs> okay, let's talk about your 713th that's, show. Who then. says your show doesn't count? Just family and friends. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. So the people that don't really matter. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hey, uh, Steph Curry was the unanimous MVP of the National Basketball Association. So huge. we asked the question, who's the MVP of the BYU football team? Unanimous. Not one dissenting the, vote. He was unanimous. Oh, this last year or the next year? Or what year? This Yesterday. La- for this season. Okay. So we ask, who's the BYU football MVP? We'll, uh, we'll weigh in. That's easy. Who is it? Who is do you, it, though? Who do you think? Tanner Mangum. Okay. Is he going to be the starting quarterback? Oh, That's a whole different story. Yeah. What do you guys think? We'll tell you. Oh. It's called Give a that away. Tease. That's a great tease. I'll tell you right now. I'll tell you right now. Mine is not a quarterback. I'll tell you that. Really? Yes. It's going to be Kafusi. It's Kafusi. Who is gone, so no. Okay. Oh, Corbin Kafusi? Yeah. No. Okay. Plus, it's a three-guest day, baby. Micah Hanneman, safety on the aforementioned BYU football team. Gordy mm. Bravo, All-American softball player. And Patrick Fishburne, the only men's golfer competing at NCAA Regionals for Brigham Young University. Isn't Patrick Fishburne an actor? Um, oh. That's Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, okay, Fishburne different. From Patrick The Matrix? Dempsey. Mm. Patrick Dempsey. Sometimes I get Lawrence those mixed Dempsey. up. Mick, what is he? Is he McDreamy or is he McSteamy? I can't remember. <laughs> Sounds pretty similar to me. <laughs> McWeenie. He's neither. <laughs> He's not McSteamy or McDreamy. Anyway. Guys, that's a great show, as always. We think it's going to be great. Plus, what Barry Switzer, Ooh. former yeah. NFL college coach, Oklahoma, had uh, you know comments about BYU's week schedule in 84. Yeah, offended. What he said about BYU related to Big 12 expansion. Well, well, is it positive? Yes. <gasps> it's positive? Which is hilarious because he was so anti-BYU in 1984. Yeah. We'll tell exactly. You what he said. Yes, oh, my word. I'm ready to go. Okay. Let's start it now. Let's do it. Can you guys well, finish let's my wait show? Six minutes. No, okay. wait let's five do it minutes now. and forty. This seconds. is BYU Sports Nation, <laughs> presented by the BYU Store. You guys could do it. You don't need everybody else helping. Okay. No, we need everyone else. There's video and graphics. That's true, and they, they there are a lot of people that do. Plus, a lot of work. everything is scripted for you guys. I know that. So yeah, n- no words are original or ad libbed at all. That is what's great about your show. Little known fact. Guys, have a Fat great Jeremy's show. Jeremy's reading the words that I am writing right or reading right now. Hello, Matthew. How are you? Well, hello, Jeremy. It was great to speak Top with you. Top of the morning to you. Hmm. Okay. Have a great show. All right. Peace out. It was Woo. it was good to interact with you this day. Likewise. We hope to see you again very soon. Farewell. <laughs> good brother. It was Thank good you. to talk with you. <laughs> I'm glad Brian Logan wasn't there to ad lib something. Did you guys notice? He always had lived something crazy. Good job, gentlemen. Um, we are going to – we've got five minutes. So here's the deal. I've got to tell you this story because a motorist crashes into a Walmart. And who do you think he blames? Walmart, of course. No. Really? He blames God. That makes sense. It doesn't. A South Carolina woman who last night crashed her car into a Walmart told police that God told her to do it. Adding that the rapture was nigh.
According to police, Crystal Marshall, 34, intentionally drove her Ford Focus into a Walmart. Surveillance footage shows Marshall driving into the parking lot before she turned and plowed directly into the building. When officers arrived on the scene, Marshall was standing in the middle of the crowd, screaming and causing a disturbance. Asked what happened, Marshall began to speak on how the rapture was coming. A patrolman reported. God told her to do it. Police estimated that the crash caused about $1,000 in damage. Crazy, sad. Honestly, I have a feeling, Crystal, that God would take care of it himself. And he definitely wouldn't use a Ford. Not to be rude. Yeah, something of the German variety, probably. <laughs> but he also wouldn't be – he's not going to start it at a Walmart. Yeah, that's – Nothing against Walmart, but yeah. Something high profile. Something way high profile. We got to tell you, as uh, you know, as as we're prone to do on the show, we like ourselves some heroes, and there's so many of them to talk about. But uh, the hero of the day um, today is going to be the Calgary a Calgary pilot. Listen to this cool story. He he basically flies hundreds of displaced animals during during a fire. Pilot Keith Mann didn't think twice about breaking the rules and loading his plane with more than 40 furry friends after they spent a few uh, days north of fire-ravaged Fort McMurray. When more than 80,000 residents were ordered to flee on Tuesday, many had to leave without all of their pets as they were barred from re-entering the city due to advancing wildfires. Since then, owners and their four-legged babies have slowly begun to be reunited through ongoing animal rescue efforts as the flames subsided. Man, Suncor Energy's manager of flight operations, said it just made sense to fly his load of critters south to Edmonton after they and their owners sought refuge north of Fort McMurray. We're all animal lovers here. We knew it was important for owners to reconnect with them, Man said, uh, referring to others who had been separated from their pets. For the past few days, Man has flown about 6,000 people from northern camps to Calgary and Edmonton, but uh, that one flight was kind of strange he said because we had cats and dogs and rabbits and chinchillas he said it was like 101 dalmatians in there anyway he did it he went against the rules of his own company and um you know they had to like work it out they spend hours trying to figure out should we do it do we do do we do we dare do it should we do it anyway he ended up saving the lives of 40 animals folks because one guy just did what's right that's what we call a hero and by golly you could be one too so that's the show Go out and be a hero for somebody. Take care of somebody. Watch their back. Just be there. Do what you need to do to stand up and make this world better. Heaven's sakes, folks, if you'll make it better and I make it better, this place could turn into something pretty darn amazing. That's the show. Again, go check us out on iTunes, on TuneIn. Go look up the BYU Radio app as well on Android or on iOS. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, take care of each other and make it a great day.